Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Goal line for Sadi scores! Power play goal! A nifty deflection by Brandon Saad brings the Blues back to within two. Passes to the far side. Shot score! Neighbors in front! Deflects it in! The Blues have life! It's a one-goal game! Thomas to the goal! It's there! They score! We're tied! St. Louis Blues come from behind. An unreal game two days before Christmas to beat the Hawks by a score of 7-5 to five and head into the Christmas break with a heck of a win. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kiley. T-Bone out this week. Some much-deserved vacation for our guy T-Bone. But we will be here, Alex. All week long. No and days be- off. No days off. I took basically all of December off in 2021. They told yeah. me, hey, you can't do that again. I said, okay, I will not the do Blues that go any on, longer. NHL goes on its bye week. I go on my bye week. So I'm off for two weeks you in and January. You go on yeah. our bye weeks. <laughs> so Grant and I will disappear for Don't a while. Worry, then. I'll be off for a few days in January. Of course. We'll, we'll get our vacations hey. in. It's just not around Christmas this year. <laughs> so you guys are sh- stuck with us three schmucks for the rest of the day, rest of the afternoon at least. Alex, an impressive win by the Blues on Saturday. Yeah, you don't want to get down like that against a bad opponent in Chicago. However, when Connor Bedard's out here scoring Michigan goals, what are you going to do? What are you supposed to do, man? That was a game that I didn't think that the Blues had in them. Just be totally candid. I didn't think they could win a game like that. And yet, and yet, twice now, under Drew Bannister, you have found a way to come back in a significant way, the likes of which we really haven't seen from them all season long. This is not anything about, let's move on from the Craig Berube thing, like, I don't know why it went wrong, but it went wrong. And now we're evaluating who this team is under Drew Bannister as the head coach. And Alex, for all the questions we got about him, I've still got many of them. They are showing more fight. They are showing a willingness and an ability to come back in these individual games. And I'll give them credit for it. Again, you don't want to get down the way that they did. That sucked, but they find a way to come back. And that's really what you want to see from this team. A little bit of fight, a little bit of gumption. 
some some compete out of them. You see Torbchenko taking a puck to the face. Yeah. You love to see it, man. Yeah, you really do. And look, in their last four games, like you mentioned, you came from behind against Dallas, and you just did it against Chicago. So, sure, Chicago is a bad team. Dallas had their backup goaltender in. But those are two Central Division teams that you came from behind and beat. So, if anything took place in that Chicago Blackhawks game, because I know there was a lot of fans that were saying, well, you should have never been in that position. Agreed. But to go into a holiday break where you have played a lot of hockey and you can look at yourself and say, we recognize now that we're never out of a hockey game. We should have the confidence as a group of players to know that down by a goal, as long as we stick to what works, we're back in this hockey game. Two goals, three goals, it doesn't matter. You can find a way to get back into those games. And frankly, that's a confidence booster that this team needed. And it has nothing to do with Drew Bannister. It has nothing to do with Craig Berube. And it has everything to do with the players in that locker room that looked at each other going into a third period when they knew that they were three days off and say, We've got to come back into this hockey game. And good for them that they did that. You're going to need that confidence over the next eight games that you're going to be playing because you're playing some tough opponents. That was a must-need game for the Blues before the end of December so that they have this confidence for the second half. Fran sent out this note on Twitter the other night. I'll give him credit for it because it's a good one. Against Dallas, the Blues erased a two-goal deficit for the first time before winning in overtime. Against Chicago on Saturday, you roar back from a three-goal hole to stun the Blackhawks. You get five straight goals in the third period. Alex, these are the kinds of things we didn't think this team could do. They hadn't had a single multi-goal comeback all season long. And then under Bannister, in the course of essentially a week, you get not one but two of them. So I will give them credit for that. Now, I will add this, Alex, to your point on them being able to come back in these games. You don't want to rely on it too much. If you just suddenly now think, okay, yeah, we can get down and we can just flip that switch. We'll turn it on whenever we want to. They had that in the bubble, and look how that panned out for them against Vancouver. That does not work. You're not good enough to be able to do that. This team does not have the kind of requisite talent, the requisite amount of competitiveness on a regular basis to be able to just hey, we'll roll out the puck, we get down by multiple goals, it'll be fine, we'll come back in the third period. No, that is not what this team can or is capable of doing. But, the power play is giving them more margin for error. This is something that we complained about really all season long. And in their last four games under Drew Bannister, this is after the first game bump, right, where they were good at 5-on-5, they come out with that crazy good start to the game. Last four games, One for one on the power play, one for three on the power play, 0 for one on the power play, and two for four on the power play. In total, four for nine on the power play in this four-game stretch. That is how you're coming back in these games. Joey Vitale had a good breakdown of it on the post-game show with you over the weekend. Your power play has to make differences. They have to get you momentum, and they have to find ways to help you win hockey games. This power play tonight, and it was mostly the second unit. Two setups by Hayes, one to Saad, the other one Falk to Neighbors with the tip. The second unit in the third period, multiple power play goals to get this team back within reach, and then the Blues take over five on five. Uh, at the end of the day, it, it, it's so important. It's so crucial, and a lot of different areas are starting to emerge right now under Drew Bannister in this group, and, and you really got to tip your hat to the St. Louis Blues. 
no coincidence too. win with the power play goal, win with the power play goal, win with the power play goal. And we've talked a lot about it. I mean, I've kept track all season long. And I think the last number that I had that there were 14 times when the blues had the opportunity to extend the lead 11 times to tie the game and 23 times to, to, to uh, take the lead and the power plays have failed. And this moment here, one for one on a power play to extend that lead, one for three on the power play to exp- extend that lead, and two for four to get you back into that hockey game and instill you confidence. That's something that this team has missed all season long. And is this is more, I think, Brad Richards than it would be Drew Bannister because the consultant that they hired has been working with this team since the firing of Craig Berube. But it's more the players having a shot-first mentality. And look at the power play goals they're scoring. They're deflection goals with bodies in front of the net, and they're one time goals that they're taking two areas that this team refused to do in the first chunk of the season. So now you're starting to get back to this. The penalty kill has been average this season, although shorthanded goals have been special. If you want to for nine on the PK though, in your last four games, like your special teams are what are winning you these games, man. They're keeping you in the game with the PK and they're getting you opportunities to come back on the power play or extend leads on the power play. That's what's been missing. This team is going to be average at five on five. They're, they're not a great five-on-five hockey club. When you've got the top line out there, pretty good. Otherwise, eh, you're just trying, trying to basically burn the time, right? You're you're a team that's up by a touchdown in the NFL in the fourth quarter with a good running game. When the other lines are out there, you're just trying to grind it out, grind it out, grind it out. Let's get to the next power play. Let's get an opportunity to get that top line back out there. But otherwise, because you have the power play going right now and because that top line is playing as well as it is, that's how you find a way to get through these games and put up three, four, five goals on average. Yeah, and you get the sixth best power play in these last four games with Drew Bannister. So, I mean, all of these elements are putting the Blues back into a spot. We said it in the first half of the season. This team could just figure out this awful power play. They'd mm-hmm. probably be fighting for a top three spot in the division. Now your power play starting to turn on, and it's no coincidence you've picked up three victories. And that's where I was going to go next, because you look at some of these teams that the Blues are battling with in the wild card positions right now. I was just looking at it. Arizona, they have the 11th best power play in the league. Nashville has the 17th best power play in the league, which isn't great, but it's a big difference. They're at 20.5%. The Blues are at 11.6 when you look at the whole season. Like That's been the difference when it comes to these wild card standings right now. If the Blues, and we've said this all along, if the Blues could have just had an average power play for the entirety of the season so far, they'd probably be three or four wins better, and they'd be fighting for that third spot in the Central. Look at the moments that they scored those power play goals against Chicago. You were down by three after Nick Foligno scored a shorthanded goal. Power play goal to bring you back within two. Power play goal to bring you within one. And look what happened less than 30 seconds after that last power play goal. You scored again. Momentum shifter. You've just learned in one hockey game what you need to do to grab back momentum and they should put this into their play for the rest of the season. And they did it in that Dallas game too, down two to nothing and the power play goal by Brandon Saad was what turned that game around and was what allowed them to come back in the game. I mean, if they were, you got to average, if you got to where the Predators right are, right, where it's 21% on the power play, you're talking about an extra 10 goals on the season. Like that is not an insignificant number, and it's it's hard to say exactly when those goals would come, but just if you look at it in the aggregate, you're talking about suddenly a team that is right around the middle of the pack in goal scoring this year. If you had another 10 goals, Alex, on what the Blues have already scored this year, you are behind only in the Western Conference. Vancouver, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas in scoring. Yep. You're fifth in the NA, or in the Western Conference in scoring on the year if you have an average power play. We're not even talking about getting up into the top five or ten. I've conceded that that ain't going to happen this year. Not for this team, not with this group of players. But can you be 
you know, where Nashville is, where Edmonton is, where Arizona is. Yeah, you can absolutely do that. And those are the types of teams that you're competing with right now for a playoff spot. I don't know how good this team is. I don't know how good this team is going to be, but they're playing better. It's a lot more fun to watch right now. Like Saturday night, that that was awesome, man. If you were out there at Enterprise Center going into the holiday season, like I spent Friday night out at Enterprise Center. It was not a very good time for me. I did not enjoy watching my Missouri Tigers <laughs> get their asses absolutely handed to them by the fighting Illini. But Saturday night, if you went back out there, if you're a Mizzou fan, you're like, you know what? We are going to get back up here on this horse and we're going to try this again. Well, the first two periods didn't look great, but the third one did. And you ended up being paid off because of it. And. If you stayed there for a full game, you had one hell of a memory to come out of that. That's really all you can ask for. And Alex, the schedule's about to turn. It's about to get real tough. Yeah, it is. Over your next nine games or so. In these next nine games, you've got Dallas, Colorado, Vancouver, Carolina, Florida, New York, Boston, and Philadelphia. All of those teams are upper half of the league Mm -hmm. this year in points percentage. The one quote-unquote reprieve that you get is Pittsburgh. That is a game on the road against the best player in the world for this generation. And so, a team that's played some much better hockey as of late. And it's also a team that's sitting like three points out of a wild card spot. Yeah, they're they're in a similar spot to you, but oh, they have Sidney Crosby and like <laughs> one of the better young players that has a questionable future in terms of Gunsel, Gunsel as well. Yeah. So I I don't know, man. Uh, it's it's not an easy path by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to learn everything we need to know about this Blues team in the next Two and a half weeks. Once we get to January 15th, if this team is still like at least hovering around where they're at right now, right above 500, I think we'll have serious conversations about them as a playoff. Yeah, I think if you come out of that road trip as a 500 record, that's a success in my book. Totally agree. Totally agree. And you've got uh, a couple of games back to back against Washington, who's playing some more inspired hockey Mm -hmm. lately as well. So uh, it does not get any easier. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll talk to Jeremy Rutherford about all of this. JR uh, joins us coming up at 12 o'clock. Want to get his breakdown of what he saw on Saturday night. Also want to get his thoughts on what he saw from Connor Bedard in person here in St. Louis. One of the more unbelievable goals that you'll see in person. We'll get into all of that with JR, but coming up next... Alex, there was a breakdown over the weekend from MLB Trade Rumors on the biggest contract in baseball history for each of the respective franchises. The Cardinals' spot in this was a little bit jarring to see. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and Grant on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you guys want to get involved in the show, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to do exactly that. It looks like Josh got the text line nice and warmed up for us. Uh, I see. <laughs> Good thing I didn't open it up yet. <laughs> it, it appears that... By comparison, people like us a little bit more today. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Oh, well, uh, Josh should just take these airwaves more often then. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I agree. Yes, yes, yes. The water's warm. <laughs> Hop on in. I mean, he has exclusive rights to all of the vacation. Uh, talking about Tim. Uh, Tim. Does he? Tim's got all of the vacation. Oh, I thought days. you meant like he deserves them. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> no, he's uh BK and I work a lot. He's got you a know? nice vacation package. Let's put it yeah, that way. We, I just steal mine hey, from T-Bone. All right. Um, so earlier today, Alex, 
I was looking over at MLB trade rumors. I was going down. I was like, all right, what what I miss? Was there any? No, nothing, nothing happened to baseball. stove's heating up. But they're doing the thing where they kind of reset everything for the offseason. After Shohei Otani and Yamamoto signed, they're going through the biggest contracts in MLB history, biggest AAVs. And they had a piece earlier today on the largest contracts that each team has given out in their respective histories. And Alex, I was curious, okay, we all know the Cardinals have not given out any massive contracts. The biggest one they've ever given is to Paul Goldschmidt. Now, they do also have Nolan Arenado on the books. It is worth mentioning this. If you count that as a contract that they signed, that would be their biggest contract. But they traded for it, so it's a little bit of a different situation. Alex, when you look at the contracts that teams have signed, there are only four that their biggest contract is smaller than the one that the Cardinals signed with Paul Goldschmidt. So the Royals, their biggest contract in franchise history, Salvador Perez, it's $82 million. For the Pirates, their biggest contract was the one that they just gave to Brian Reynolds, $100 million. The White Sox, five years, $75 million to Andrew Benintendi. That is the biggest contract that they have given out in the history of their franchise. And then, of course, the Oakland A's, their biggest contract is uh, Eric Chavez at a six-year, $66 million deal. Nice. Alex, the Cardinals are fifth on that list. I mean, the the Brewers gave a $189 million deal to Christian Yelich. The uh, Tampa Bay Rays, who I was talking to you guys before the show today, and you were like, ah, the Rays. The Rays got to be on this list, right? They've they've never given out one as big as the Paul Goldschmidt deal. Well, they, they did. Now, I don't know if they'll actually see it through, but for many reasons now, the Wander Franco deal was 11 years and $182 million. Contracts, or the Cardinals have never gotten close to that one. Alex, what is your biggest takeaway when you see this put in, like, just plain letters? Like, this piece spells it out. Cardinals have given out their biggest contract is, in terms of, like, the smallest that a, each team has given out, the fifth smallest in, in Major League. What what, I, is, what does that say? To you? I mean, it says that every offseason, my mindset is correct that I had going into this offseason. That when you get excited about all of these names that are available, you know, the Yamamoto's and thinking that the Cardinals are going to go after Bryce Harper of years past, you could pretty much write it in stone that it's not happening. Because this Cardinals team, and correct me if I'm wrong, they gave that Paul Goldschmidt contract to him when they acquired him. Mm. So they negotiated this contract when he was already on his way to St. Right. Louis. It wasn't, a fr- it wasn't a free agency. So this deal. isn't free agency. So what I'm saying is like free agency is just a different beast. The biggest beast. one they've given out in free agency is the, the, uh, Contreras? the Matt Holiday contract. Oh, that makes sense. But again, also was in-house yeah, with he them. He officially did hit free agency, though. He was Correct. eligible to negotiate with other teams, and he ended up getting the seven-year $120 million. But in terms of Cardinals. like negotiating with somebody who has no prior history with the right. Cardinals, I mean, we're talking Wilson Contreras this season with Sonny Gray. Correct, yeah. It means that free agency is just, it's a monster underneath the bed for this Cardinals team, or it's a monster in the closet. Like, they don't want to look. They don't even want to investigate it because they know what that price is going to cost. So rather than do that, they'll go out there and look. They got Wilson Contreras. They got Sonny Gray. But it's kind of sided with Mo's comments of always wanting the guys that wants to be in St. Louis. These big fish, the only big fish that are coming to St. Louis are going to be via trade because they're not going to go to this 180, 200, 250 million dollar number. And the Aaron Nola dream probably was always just a dream, just like Yamamoto was. So my biggest takeaway was this, man, they better get Jordan Walker signed soon. That's a really good point. Because if Jordan Walker were to hit free agency, Man, they ain't signing him. They're not doing it. 
Because this is not a team that goes out there and wins the auctions. They are the team that keeps their guys internal because they don't allow them to hit free agency. Most of the guys that we talk about that the Cardinals extend over the long haul, they, they never even got the opportunity to negotiate with other teams to be able to find out what was out there. Now, they'll give out pretty good contracts to those players. I They made sure that Yadier Molina was taken care of his entire career here in St. Louis. He made plenty of money. Adam Wainwright made plenty of money from this organization. Miles Michaelis making plenty of money from the Cardinals. Matt Carpenter was well paid by the Cardinals. But the guy that hit free agency, that actually was allowed to get there now, he signed an early extension, but then he hit free agency, was Albert Pujols. And guess what? He left because the free agency market allowed him to get more money elsewhere. Now, I think that you can make a pretty good argument that it ended up being the best thing that could have happened to the Cardinals that he left. But that point is neither here nor there. In my opinion, when I see a list like this, it makes me feel even more urgency to start negotiating a contract now with somebody like Jordan Walker. Because if you don't do that, if you don't get out on the front end of it, he's going to get a deal similar to what you see with Austin Riley on here. Guys, Austin Riley signed a 10-year deal worth $212 million. Do you think the Cardinals are paying that? Do you think the Cardinals are going out there and offering a deal to somebody that they've only seen a couple of years from that is worth $200-plus million? No. My answer to that is a resounding no. So get it done now. Go ahead and lock in Jordan Walker for the extended future, and let's see what it looks like over the next 8 to 10 years if he's in a Cardinals uniform. But that that was my personal uh, reaction to this was, whew, Better start getting that contract negotiation going because if you don't, I don't think you're going to have him here for the long haul. It's yeah. unfortunate, but that's kind of how I feel. And I mean, like, I, I'm i much more confident of a Cardinals team having a young player in their system going through all of those years that they get that player locked up if he gets to free agency, which I'm with you, I hope that he doesn't, than I am of the Cardinals looking at a free agent that's available that played for another team. And I've always skeptical. The last couple of seasons have probably got me my worst but now with that number of you looking at that and saying like, yeah, Paul Goldschmidt's the only one. But again, that was negotiated before he even got here. I just don't know if this Cardinals team is a team that's ever going to go into a bidding war. Yep. Uh, they're never unless they have a different front office mindset. They're never going to go into an offseason where they see all of these big names that they know can change the trajectory of their franchise and say, you know what, we got to win the bidding war for this. And in some ways, I get it. And I know this is something that you brought up earlier today, Grant. Like, why would they? They've had a lot of success. They, over yep. the last 23 years now or so, have been a top five organization in Major League Baseball. This is their philosophy. This is what's always worked for them. So why would we change? Why would we alter what we do when what we have done has made us into a model organization? So I get that to a degree, but I think the, I think the model needs to change. I think we have arrived at a place where, man, the other teams around the league have caught up. Atlanta's better than you. Philadelphia, better than you. The Dodgers, better than you. You look over the American League, you can do three to five teams over there that are also better than you. You are not the model anymore. People aren't saying, hey, we need to find a way to become more like the Cardinals. People are saying we need to find a way to be more like the Rays, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Phillies. Those are the model organizations in Major League Baseball now, and those are the teams that are doing some of the stuff that we're talking Talking about, They're giving out these massive contracts to people that are worth it. They're not just doing it willy-nilly. The Dodgers only do that when it's Mookie Betts or Shohei Otani or Yamamoto. It's generational potential talents that are still, you know, for the most part, young as well. 
The Cardinals don't do it for anybody. It, they it, don't make exceptions. And it really sucks that they're in the same conversation as those bottom-dwelling teams because they're not one of those bottom-dwelling teams. They're not the Pirates. They're not the White Sox. They're not the Rays. They're not the Athletics. Like, it sucks that they're in that conversation when they should be in the conversation of the Braves, of the Phillies, of those top-tier teams, but the Cardinals refuse to jump into that conversation. Yeah, where I'm at on it is just... It doesn't feel like the Cardinals are a team that's interested in winning a World Series. They're interested in making the playoffs and making their money. And if they win a World Series in the process, if they get in and the anything happens, mindset works, then even better. But the way I look at it is they're just a team that wants to make the playoffs and, and make their money in the playoffs. Like you look at the Phillies, the Dodgers, the Braves, all these teams that are heavily pursuing free agency and spending money. They're interested in winning championships. They're not interested in just making the playoffs because they're going to make the playoffs. And the way to change that mindset for fans, if you're the Cardinals, is by going out there and making one more aggressive move. Mm -hmm. If they make one more aggressive move for a number one or a number two starting pitcher, you can convince people like Grant or like Alex that this team still wants to go out there and not just get in, but get through October. But right now, it's really hard as a Cardinals fan to look at the roster that they have assembled and say to yourself, yeah, we are a top three team in the National League. It's hard to do that, man. It really is because the Braves just have a better lineup and they've got better pitching. The Phillies have better on both sides of things. The Dodgers are a behemoth out there, and that guarantees nothing. It does not mean that one of those three teams is going to the World Series from the National League this year, but means they've got a hell of a lot better chance. Like, if we're putting the percentages on it, the percentage of them getting to October, those three teams, pretty damn high. The percentage of getting through October is much higher when you almost guarantee yourself an opportunity to be there. Right now, the Cardinals absolutely do not have that guarantee. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. If you guys have any questions, get them in on the text line right now. But coming up next... It was a wild weekend in the NFL. Lots of upsets, lots of teams that laid an egg. We'll get into the biggest storylines from the NFL weekend coming up next year on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider, will join the show coming up at 12 o'clock. Alex, the big game over the weekend prior to Monday night, we'll get into that here in just a minute, was Cowboys versus the Dolphins. And it came down to a last-minute kick. Dolphins end up winning that one. Cowboys now 0-4 this season as an underdog. They don't really have a big win against a great team. Maybe you could say the Eagles. I'm not so sure that the Eagles are great, though. They're 3-5 and on the road, which is becoming a thing for them. And the Dolphins are now 7-1 and when they play at home. Tyreek Hill didn't have the huge game that we're accustomed to, but 
Nine catches, 99 yards, consistently moving the chains for the Dolphins. What did you take away, Alex, from that big performance between the Cowboys and the Dolphins? I mean, that felt as close to a playoff game as any game did this past week. Like, to be able to drive down the field and kick the field goal, game-winning field goal, I thought Dak Prescott and Tua had a good game. Tyreek wasn't at his best, but still had almost 100 yards. That game just came down to your defense not being able to make the stop, and Dallas wasn't able to stop them from getting into field goal range. But, man, that felt as close to a playoff matchup, a Super Bowl matchup, as you could see right there. And I know, like you said, we'll talk about some other ones, but between an NFC and an AFC team, you got a good look at two teams that could push for a Super Bowl, and I think that would have been an entertaining Super Bowl. It told me, and I think I have a little bit of a different takeaway than what I've seen elsewhere. I Sometimes we see these... We see two teams play, and one of them has to lose, of course. And we're like, oh, well, that team stinks. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't feel that way coming mm-hmm. out of this game. Cowboys played well, man. They lost. It happens. Now, would I have been more impressed if they found a way to come out with that with a win? Yeah, but it's not as if they played some terrible football I mean, they game. Got the they t- went out and got the yeah. borderline or potential game-winning touchdown. They just left three minutes on the clock right like they they drove 17 plays in 70 yards and got the go-ahead touchdown with three minutes to play i'm not gonna sit here and be critical of dak prescott for not finding a way to get it done it just like you said alex couldn't get the stop on the final possession and the dolphins played really well so i came away saying those are the two teams that could play upset this this postseason If you don't end up seeing the Ravens or the 49ers in the Super Bowl from their respective conferences, I think it's probably because one of the two teams that we saw on the field in Miami ended up getting there. instead. I mean, how often have we seen this season two like Super Bowl caliber teams have that close of an effort from start to finish? It's great. It's been rare to see that where you got two teams that battle each other all the way to the end. The other big game that we saw this weekend was the Ravens against the 49ers and who? Boy, I could not have been more wrong about this game. Polar opposite. I thought the 49ers were just the flat-out better football team. better, Similar defenses, but a much better offense. And I, I thought they were a little better coach. I just trust Kyle Shanahan with everything in my being. Well, that was quite wrong. Hmm. The Ravens went in there and kicked their ass from start to finish. 49ers never belonged on the same field as Baltimore last night. Alex, my biggest takeaway was this. I've been underestimating them. I've been underestimating the Ravens all season long, and I think it was because there were some growing pains with this offense early on. They got a new offensive coordinator in here, new receivers. They switched things up the way that they were going about everything, and early on in the season, especially in the red zone, they struggled. And because of that, I was like, ah, writing them off. I'm basically doing with them what I did to Robert Thomas, which was unfair to Robert Thomas, and it was unfair to the Ravens. Robert Thomas has been incredibly consistent for like six weeks now. One of the best even strength players in the NHL over the entirety of the season. And the Ravens have been the best team in the NFL now for the last like six weeks. I will give credit where it is due. Lamar Jackson will get into this a little bit later on today. Everybody's handing him the MVP. I'm not willing to go there, but as a team, best defense in the NFL this season and that offense is absolutely good enough to win them a Super Bowl. Credit to the Ravens. They are now number one in the NFL power rankings. Yeah, to me, that game was the Baltimore Ravens key to a Super Bowl is Lamar Jackson. Like the difference in that game and the first four weeks of the season was Lamar Jackson was just he he was he was 
irresponsible with the football. Every time he would try and do something, he would hold it out. He would get it smacked out of his hands. He would fumble the ball or the passes would go haywire. And now you got a guy who seems locked in as you can ask for without his best weapon, Mark Andrews, but he's still making some of the top plays against a really good defense. I always knew Baltimore's defense was going to keep them as a dominant force. Their offense, I was very skeptical of. And in that performance, I'm not skeptical anymore. Lamar Jackson, if that's just like we talk about with Josh Allen, if that's the guy that's going to show up, you got a chance to win the Super Bowl every single season. He was their leading rusher yesterday. Lamar Jackson was his leading receivers were a first round rookie and Zay Flowers. Isaiah Likely, their backup tight end, Gus Edwards, and Justice Hill. (laughs) That looks a lot like the receiving options that he's had in previous years. The difference, of course, is that this year, the offense is working, and there's a real passing game. He threw for 250 and two through the air. They ran for 100 yards on the ground, and because their defense was so damn good, my God, were they good yesterday. They went out there, and they didn't just beat the San Francisco 49ers. They crushed them on the road. The only thing that could stop him was uh, the umpire in the end zone. <laughs> that was bad. That was hilarious. That was bad. I really, and that was on Lamar because I, that dude went back 20 yards to end yeah. up getting tackled in the end zone. <laughs> I really wanted that game to end with San Francisco winning by one so that that play was like the deciding factor oh. in the game. That would have been hilarious. I, I didn't need that. I didn't know, need all that con- those conversations that would have taken place today. That No, 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 no. That was on Lamar. 100% on Lamar. Uh, all right, next thing up here. Let's stick in the AFC North, Alex. Because we got to have a conversation about the Browns. <laughs> Joe Flacco can't win the Super Bowl, right? In the year of our Lord, 2023. Well, Joe, that, that can't happen, Joe, right? Joe Flacco did win the Super Bowl with Baltimore, and he could probably win it the same way with the Cleveland Browns. Their defense wins the Super Bowl. Joe Flacco's just a part of it. I mean, he's chucking it, though. He was legitimately good yesterday, dude. He's th- he is basically throwing YOLO balls all down the field. He's like the and uh, like it's a 50-50 proposition <laughs> on if his guy catches it or the other team catches it, but because the defense is so good, he's getting away with it. He's the retired guy that shows up to a pickup softball game and it's <laughs> like, "You know what? My back already hurts, so I'm just going to go out there and swing for the fences." Joe Flacco's like, "I'm retired. I don't need this, but you need me, so screw it. Let's go out there and play." And it's working. They've won three in a row. They beat Chicago, who, hey, man, let's give them credit. They're playing better. They're playing like a playoff team right now. The defense has been better. Fields has been better. That's a good win. They beat Jacksonville, who, boy, howdy, do they look bad. And they just went in and beat that crap out of Houston this week. I think they're going to finish the season 12-5. and Yeah. Probably as, unfortunately for them, a five seed because their division leader and the Baltimore Ravens are going to get the one seed. But... Can they win the Super Bowl with this version of Joe Flacco, in your opinion, Alex? Are they capable of doing that? I don't think so, because I think the way that Joe Flacco just played for Cleveland isn't going to work against the Baltimore Ravens. It's not going to work against a Baltimore Ravens team, and I'm not sure how Cleveland's defense, although they've gone up against some really good offenses and found a way to eliminate them, how do they look if they, they, they... draw the Miami Dolphins in that first or second round to get to a Super Bowl. I love what they're doing. I think they can play upset absolutely in the first round of a football of the uh, of the playoffs, but against a Baltimore Ravens defense that I just saw do that to Brock Purdy, no, I don't think Joe, I don't think old man Flacco is going to be able to throw it to Amari Cooper and make those happen. I think they can. I I think that the this has been such a weird season that I think somebody weird is going to end up in the Super Bowl. I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe it ends up being uh, that's Cleveland. A, that's an NFC team. I, maybe. I, I don't know. I feel like it's more likely to come out of the AFC this year. Like, yeah. 
Could you see the Rams in the Super Bowl? I'd, I'd be surprised. It's possible. Yeah, I guess it, it's possible that they could because they've done all right against the 49ers in their history. Could you see the Bills after the weird start that they had to the season in the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I could see it. And I could see the Browns because Miles Garrett is a destroyer of worlds right now. That defense <laughs> is amazing. And if you get a couple of big plays by Amari Cooper through the air, they could find a way. They could find a way to get themselves to the Super Bowl. I'll save my money and not bet it on Cleveland, though. I'll say this, though. Like, I remember that year that the Ravens won the Super Bowl, and I felt like exactly what you were just saying, BK, about yeah. half the time he would just air it deep, a 50-50 ball, and Anquan Bolden or Torrey Smith would come down with it. Exactly. And that would be the huge play that they would need, and then their defense would be phenomenal, and they would they won the Super Bowl. Let me see what their odds are right now to win this. Okay, but see, like, I would definitely bet this. I think this is worth the odds. They're 50 to 1 to win the Super Bowl right now. Teams that have a better better odds according to Vegas to win the Super Bowl than the Browns are the 49ers, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Eagles, the Chiefs, the Cowboys, the Bills, the Lions and the Jaguars. The Jaguars, get the bleep out and of here with Eagles that. Eagles should not be on that list. Jaguars stink and probably aren't going to make the playoffs. I would absolutely take the Browns over the Jags, the Chiefs, probably the Eagles. I'd I take think them I'm over with the you, Eagles. Alex. Their defense is significantly better and they could win a a 14 to 10 football game in the in the in the championship round to get to a Super Bowl. And they have a quarterback that is willing to chuck it in a way where they could also win 27 to 20 and it wouldn't surprise me. And their defense is capable of scoring any given week. They also could chuck it and get the interception on the Absolutely. drive down the field and lose the game. They are one of the teams and there are like seven of these that could make the playoffs on either side. That could beat anybody or lose to anybody. Yeah. Eagles can lose to anybody. Chiefs can lose to anybody. Browns can lose to anybody. Jaguars can clearly lose to anybody. The other team that I don't have a good pulse of is the Detroit Lions. Alex, they won this weekend. They beat the Vikings 30-24. to Goff had a really solid game overall, despite having one really weird play where, you know, it's once again going up against that specific defense. It's going to happen. Somebody on the text line asked the question, are they a real threat in the playoffs or is it just a cute story? I don't want to diminish what the Lions have done this year, but I think more the latter than the former. I, know, I yeah. would be shocked if this Lions team ends up in the Super Bowl. I just don't think they have the defense to do it. That's the problem. They, they've got the offense to shock people, but they don't have the defense to do it. If they're going to win multiple games and get to a Super Bowl, they're going to have to put up 35 to 45 points every single game. And even then, you still have to find a way to get that one stop. Detroit's good at stopping the run. They're not good at stopping the pass, and that's a little concerning if I'm a team that yep. has legit Super Bowl st- opportunities. I think they're going to get beat next week. They play against Dallas in Dallas. I think oh, Dallas yeah. is going to win that game. Especially coming off of this loss for Dallas. Yeah, I absolutely think they will. I, I think so, too. That So are they a team that can make the Super Bowl? I, I suppose. It would just be really shocking to me. I think Dallas, even Philadelphia, I feel better about getting to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. If you had to pick the Rams or the Lions, more likely to I make would the go, Super Bowl. I'd go Lions. You would? Just because of their offense. And I know the Rams have showcased how good their offense can be, but man, the Lions, they're starting to get Jamison Williams going. You've got two running backs. Your tight end is so dominant. I would pick the Lions over everybody other than the Cowboys and Niners. Because I think the Lions could do it against the Eagles, especially for how awful the Eagles' defense has been. I think I'd take the Rams. Really? I do. I trust their quarterback. It makes sense. I don't trust Jared Goff against one of these playoff teams. Like, you get him in a, a playoff game against the Eagles, the Cowboys, the 49ers. I just don't trust him to have a big game. Do you trust him if it's on home field, though? 
Because that's I the don't one really care. See, that's the one area. Like, if it's outdoors somewhere, I don't trust Jared sure. Goff. If it's indoors on home field, I think I'd trust him a little bit more. And their first game will be in indoors at at Ford Field yeah. because they they won the division for the first time in 30 years. Credit to the Lions, by the way. That like this is again not to take away anything that they've accomplished this year. It's projecting what they're going to do in the postseason. And I just don't see it. I don't see it. For Credit them. to Eminem. Do you see them? You know, one thing that I did look up, you were talking about the rush defense, Alex. Lions have allowed the fourth fewest rushing yards in the NFL. Mm-hmm. If Say they go up in a game against San Francisco. If they can shut down Christian McCaffrey, hey, you forced Brock that Brady takes to throw it. a huge piece away from San Francisco. But you gotta have good, they've got to get up early in yeah. that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. you got to have a good secondary. Pass rush, and that pass rush is going to get to Jared Goff. And I... I just don't trust him to be able to make the throws. But against the best team in the NFC, you kind of see the path that they have to take the win. And if they can do that, then, yeah, they have a shot. You take away one team's best asset, which is the running game, and you could keep your throwing game going. That's that high scoring game you're going to have to win. Yeah, I, I just they haven't done it against anybody good yet. No, the right. one real opportunity that they had to go up against a great team was at Baltimore. Yeah, and that was they bad. lost that game 38 to six, man. So I just I don't think they are on the same playing field as these elite level teams in the NFC. And I think we're going to see that this week. I do think Dallas is going to take it to them a little bit. I I don't see that one going well at all uh, for the Detroit Lions. All right. Before we get out of here, Alex, the final thing. I thought you would have just glossed over this. They're like, yeah, you know what? We're out of time. We got to get to questions and answers. What percent chance would you give the Chiefs to get out of the AFC? Uh, Five. That seems generous. But, I think yeah, it's yeah. about right. Yeah. Well, but they still have Pat Mahomes. <laughs> Does that matter? No, but if 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 they do it, Pat Mahomes is going to have to do what Adam Sandler did in the longest yard and basically say, "Bleep this! I'll do it myself," and have to push eighteen guys Tried off that of this them. Week didn't go well. Oh well. <laughs> and that was against the Raiders, who aren't a very good football team. Yeah, but they got the psycho Max Crosby, so I can understand his hesitancy. Here's the Chiefs' points in their last five losses. This will be good. Nine, <laughs> 17, <laughs> 19, 17, <laughs> 14. In their last five losses, they have not put up 20 points. In their wins, 21 against the Dolphins. They scored on defense in that game. 31 against the Raiders and 27 against the Patriots. And if this team isn't playing one of the bottom dwellers in the NFL, they can't get to 20. You think and if you office? can't get to 20, you cannot win in the postseason. They're just not good enough offensively. This season stinks. It's been terrible. If you want to see me get up here and bitch and moan and complain and cry about the Chiefs, here you go. I hate this football team. They are miserable to watch. Absolutely miserable. I spend my Sundays watching them for three and a half hours, and then thank God I have my child next to me because it makes my day better from them ruining the past three and a half hours of me having to watch that crap. It is horrendous. It's like watching the Cardinals from September, but just over the course of an entire season with championship aspirations getting flushed down the drain every single Sunday. It is horrible right now. They've got a Hall of Fame level coach, a Hall of Fame level quarterback, a Hall of Fame level tight end, a Hall of Fame level defensive tackle, and it's all being wasted. Wasted because they can't do anything offensively. So that's my thoughts on the Chiefs. I wonder if the front office after every game stands up and shakes hands and says, great job not getting a wide receiver. Great job not not getting a wide receiver. Hey, we got Kadarius Tony. DeAndre Hopkins and Brandon Cooks were available this past offseason in case you guys They said Kadarius Tony. Yeah, wide receiver one. He's Alex. That's Grant. I'm BK. Jeremy Rutherford in about 15 minutes or so. Questions and answers is next. We're right back to the 
PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. I went long, giving my rant on the Chiefs, so I apologize. We'll have to go quick here on questions and answers. We'll get to Jeremy Rutherford on the other side. Alex, let's start with this from the 314. Do you think it's fair to have expectations of Mizzou getting to the college football yeah. playoff next year? Oh, next year? Yeah. Oh, sure. Next year, absolutely. This year, football team. I mean, oh, it would be hard team. for the football team this year to get into the college football playoff. I thought, we, no, I thought we were talking basketball. I didn't no, hear you say football. We'll get into basketball. Um, yes, absolutely. They should be considered it. If they don't get to a college football playoff after what they've done in this transfer and recruiting class and keeping the coaching staff, I would say that's a major disappointment. But they did that to themselves by having this great of a season this year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that they, the expectation next year should be your one of the 12. Top 12 team. Yeah. That's where you should be, and we'll see what happens once you get there. Uh, from the 314, uh, guys, if the Lions end up getting a top two seed in the NFC, do you think they can make it to the NFC championship game? So that wouldn't be a that would be a buy. Would not get a buy. Would not just get a the buy. one seed now that gets the buy. But you're going to get the first two matchups pretty ideal, at least for Detroit. They I, would I, probably go up against Philly or Dallas in the uh, – the divisional round. Well, and if they have the home field advantage and Dallas can't win on the road, yeah. there you go. So there's your, there's I would your not opportunity. pick them to get to the NFC Championship game. It, I would it, pick them probably against, uh, I don't know, maybe against Philly, but I would not I, pick them against Dallas in a dome. I'd pick them against Philly. I'm not sure with Dallas, although Dallas does always ish the bed in big yeah. stage moments, so I, I could see it happening. I would not be surprised at all if Detroit beat Dallas. Honestly, in the playoffs, I'm not surprised if anybody beats Dallas. because It that's is just Mike how McCarthy they are. we're talking about, guys. We did see that set play that they had last year with Ezekiel Elliott as the blocker. Final thing here, guys. More likely the Dodgers get eliminated early in the postseason or they win the World Series this year. I, I think it's always more likely that a team gets eliminated earlier than we expect because it's weird. Baseball stuff happens, short series, injuries, etc. Uh, but with this team specifically, hot damn, dude, it's going to be hard to beat them. They have really good pitching. And if we just assume health throughout the course of the season, that is a juggernaut of a baseball team. So I'll still say more likely that they le- lose in the playoffs because weird stuff happens in baseball. But, man, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I, I'll, I think I'll say they're going to win it because, man, I don't think you have that type of offseason and not all the excitement in the world to go into it. Does it work against you? Absolutely. But to have for sure Walker, Bueller, and Yamamoto, and then who knows after that, yeah. you're in good shape. Uh, last thing here, a little bit of news to pass along. Kevin Kiermeyer has reached an agreement with the Toronto Blue Jays oh. on a one-year contract. Sorry, buddy. Worth $10.5 million. My assumption is that will take Toronto out of the Cody Bellinger market. I'm guessing he's either going back to Chicago at this point or he will sign... I don't know, may- maybe the San Francisco Giants. I know they already signed an outfielder. I think he's got to go back to Chicago. I-, I think so, too. They don't have I any feel of, like it's the right They haven't done now. anything, and they're not going to do anything. Yeah. Yeah, that, that feels like it's got Chicago written all over it, and maybe this means that his market doesn't develop quite as much as he was expecting because now a lot of the top bidders appear to be out of the market for him. Yeah. Everybody's probably looking at him like, dude, you're not getting $200 million, <laughs> yeah. so just call me when you're realistic. Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider, joins us next here on 101 ESPN. PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Alongside Alex and Grant on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and we are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by our friend and the Blues Insider for The Athletic and 101 ESPN. He's Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. Jer, we appreciate the time as always, man. I hope you and yours had a very Merry Christmas. How you doing today? Oh, it was great. It was great. And I know you guys have uh, the young kids, so I'm sure it was uh, perfect. I remember those days. I hope you guys had a good one, too. Uh, it was great. What I learned this year is that Luca, he's not quite a year. He's about six months old almost, be six months in, a couple of weeks. Uh, he prefers the wrapping paper to any of the gifts at this point in his life. So uh, if I had known that prior to, it would have been a cheaper holiday, yeah. but well, an enjoyable day and, nonetheless. And one thing that I've learned, if we're all telling what we've learned, I've learned that a two-year-old um, gets very high anxiety with a lot of presents because about five presents in, she started crying and said, I don't want to open anymore anymore. <laughs> And I said, good. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy are glad we got all of these for you. So then the rest of Christmas was us and opening Christmas. And what she'll do, you'll correct it next year. You'll get fewer presents. And then she'll and start be more crying. Expensive, and yep. she'll say, Dad, everybody else is still opening their presents, and I have nothing and left. And then that's when you throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I suck! <laughs> I always tell you guys, every stage of life, I tell you, you'll learn. You'll learn. Yeah, I'm do still we, learning. Are we going to learn, though, JR? Is that something that'll <laughs> take place? Maybe not. I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm wondering. All right, JR, let's uh, let's talk about what we're learning about this Blues team, because over the weekend, they come back again. Uh, two comebacks in the last week and a half now for this team that had none of them uh, in the first, like, you know, two months of the season. What are you seeing right now from the Blues in the five games since Drew Bannister has been named the interim coach? Yeah, talking about have we learned, right? <laughs> <laughs> have, we learned? have we learned what's going on? You know, I think it's still uh, too early, way too early, but I think that uh, what we've seen, has been pretty good. I think that the effort, uh, the attention to detail, people might point out that Tampa Bay game, and yeah, so, you know, one game out of five, uh, you know, that's less than what we were seeing earlier on, but you expected that with the coaching change. Players are always going to be on their toes and, you know, trying to impress the new boss. So I think that what we have seen has been kind of expected, uh, but I think you also can see that there is some compete in this team and for whatever for whatever reason you know that wasn't on a regular basis uh, when Craig Bruby was in charge and and so now you look at what this team has done it's looked a little better on the power play it's coming back in games hey I gotta be honest when uh, it's 5-2 in the third I'm figuring out how am I going to tell fans about this game and where this team is at right now and and they changed the narrative there so a pretty good uh, finish before the holiday break. Uh-oh. With that win, the one area that was very glaring, Jr. was Kairu Thomas and Buchnevich. And Thomas has been on a, a multi-point pace right now for like the last five games. Kairu's starting to break through. Is this a line that can start entering the conversation of one of the top lines in hockey, or are there still a lot more hurdles for these guys to cross? Yeah, Alex, I think that uh, when they've played together in the past, uh, they were among the top, what, three or four lines in hockey when they were having all their success. And and that's, again, I'll say it again, Craig Bruby had that intention coming into the year. He put the three together. He could have done a number of different things with the line combinations, but he went with those three based on that success. And it was early on in the year. Sometimes it takes a little bit, and not things uh, things weren't going great with the offense in general, as we remember back to the first eight games or so. Uh, but I think now that these guys – uh, are playing together again. They've shown some chemistry that we've seen in the past, and everybody's clicking. Thomas is at an elite level as far as his position and, and what he's doing this season, and Kairu's starting to pick it up a little bit, Buchnevich as well. So, uh, you know, the playmaking that we saw last week in a couple of those games, especially the uh, the Florida game, has been really good, and, and this is a great sign for the Blues moving forward. Not, not to be Debbie Downer here, but follow up with that. I mean, 
the reason I would imagine Craig Berube had to break them up was because you weren't getting much offense elsewhere, and that seems to be the issue, at least in these last five games. As great as they've been, I'm not sure how that offense can continue if other teams find a way to eliminate Thomas's line. Yeah, that's going to be an issue for sure. There's going to be a lot of focus on them. I think they're already going to get top lines defending them. That's going to be the case. Uh, but you're going to have to get that secondary scoring, you know, whether Thomas and Kyra Buchnevich are, are clicking or not. They can't do it every night, obviously. Uh, we've seen that that's been the case kind of here lately. Uh, but the Blues are going to have to get some offense. But, you know, a lot of these lines, you look at second, third, and even maybe the fourth line, uh, you know, they, they – aren't necessarily the types of offensive players where you're going to get 25, 30 goals uh, from a lot of these guys. It's got to be a good year for a lot of these guys to get to that level. But if this team wants to be successful, you're going to have to have a year like you did a couple years ago where you got six or seven, eight guys with 20 goals. So uh, it hasn't been there yet. Some guys have shown it in spurts. It's got to be a lot more consistent. Jeremy Rutherford is our guest for just another couple of minutes here on 101 ESP, and you can find his work over at The Athletic and on Twitter at J.P. Rutherford. JR, we've got the uh, the juniors uh, competition going on on the TV right now in the studio. We watched Jimmy Snuggerud, who scored a goal in the game earlier, and uh, Bucci Gross said something interesting on Twitter. He said uh, he thinks that Blues fans should expect to see him on the team in late March. I think that's more speculation just based on his performance today than it is anything else. Out of curiosity, though, do, do you think that's something we, we could see this year? Is Jimmy Snuggerud getting to the NHL level after his college season is over? Or do you think that's more of a multi-year process still? I think it's possible. He had a great freshman year. And I think in talking to the Blues, uh, Tim Taylor, about uh, who, who is their uh, director of uh, development, and then now he's, uh, he's got a higher position as, as well with the team. You know, he, he liked what Snuggerud did earlier in the year. You know, he faced some adversity middle to late year, was able to meet it, and now he's year two at, at Minnesota. He was a stud at the World Junior Championships last year. It looks like he's off to a great start again today with that goal against Norway. You know, just a great shot there in the slot, turns and wheels and, and, and puts it in. So if he has another great tournament and continues to play well at Minnesota, I think it's going to increase his chances of uh, turning pro, and you could see him in, in March, like uh, Bucci says there. So, um, you know, if he goes back for a third year at Minnesota, I'd probably be surprised. I think he's at a point where, you know, maybe you're going to see a Snuggerud, you're going to see a Dvorsky at camp next year with a chance to uh, to make the club. That's where this thing is headed with the Blues, and I think that's why even when things aren't going well, uh, teams inconsistent, you look to the future, those two names in particular – people get excited. Are there any other names, JR, that you've heard around the Blues organization that there's excitement around of, of whether it's players in this prospect tournament, this World Juniors tournament, or elsewhere? Well, you got the three first-round draft picks, uh, the, the kids from Sweden uh, were the second and third picks with uh, with Lindstein and Stenberg, and then you add to that Dvorsky who's in the tournament. So you know, I think that uh, probably Dvorsky, other than Snuggerud, is that big name, as you know, and, and then you got those uh, other two first-round draft picks. The Blues have seven total at the tournament, and we mentioned last week, I think, on the podcast that that's tied with Arizona and Buffalo for the most prospects at the tournament, which is great. I mean, uh, we, Alex, you and I can remember tournaments where the Blues had nobody or <laughs> one prospect representing the team, but the fact that they got all three first-round picks, I mean, if you would have said a year ago when the Blues still, still had O'Reilly, Tarasenko that, uh, hey, you're going to get three first-round draft picks. They're all going to play at the World Juniors. You know, this would be a really positive development, and I think it has been. JR, I know you're working on some cool stuff over at The Athletic. What can people be watching for over there? 
Yeah, for sure. I've been working on a piece for about a week or two to tell uh, people more about Drew Bannister, the Blues' new interim coach. He comes from a hockey family. His wife played. She was a coach. His father-in-law was in the NHL. His father-in-law was a coach. Uh, she's home-based. The wife is uh, Katie Bannister back in uh, Thunder Bay, Ontario, for his family. And they've been a real good support group for Drew Bannister as he's climbed the ranks and tried to get to the NHL, which he finally has. They were reunited over the weekend, over the holiday, for the first time since September. He had not seen his wife and three daughters since September. They're going to take in their first NHL game, the girls are. Uh, and as with Drew on the bench, this will be the first time they've obviously had a chance to see him coach an NHL game. That'll be Wednesday night at Dallas. So the family's extremely excited. I talked to all of them, and that'll be up at the Athletic tomorrow. That's awesome. Man, that's awesome. JR, appreciate the time as always, man. Always appreciate it. We'll talk with you again soon. Looking forward to that piece over on The Athletic. Yep, we'll see you, boys. See you, buddy. That's Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for The Athletic and 101 ESPN, joining us as he does each and every Tuesday here on BK and Ferrario. Man, can you imagine three months, September, October, November? Yeah, three months since he's seen his family. Man, I I don't know about you. I I do know about you, but you can speak for yourself. I struggled to go, like, a few days without seeing (laughs) the little guy. to, To do the job that these guys do, and I know... Listen, like I'm the first one that will come up here and say, like, I don't want to hear about the travel. I, I don't want to hear about the complaints. Like, this is the profession that you have chosen and you are paid handsomely in order to perform based upon what you have in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. And that does mean a lot of travel. It does mean being away from your family. And that is hard. I'm not diminishing it. However, it's the job. It's a profession that you chose and you're paid for it. But... Uh, Bannister didn't necessarily know he was signing up for this when he went to work this year, and now he's in St. Louis, and obviously he's he's thrilled. He's getting an opportunity of a lifetime here, but that is an incredibly difficult thing uh, to go through as a family. Now, of course, I'm not very up to date with my geography, hence my you know not knowing where New York was based to Toronto, but Thunder Bay is a lot closer to Springfield, Massachusetts than um, St. Louis to Thunder Bay. I mean, I would assume so. I yeah. don't really it's, know. It's but a, regardless, uh, that that is the hard part with all of this, though, because I mean, I, I can't go a day. Like a, a day is where it starts to get really frustrating, and, and talk about being an entire week. Or I mean, in Drew Bannister's case, you're talking an entire season. Now, whether it's St. Louis or Springfield, Massachusetts, it's still an entire season that you're away, where they get to come in every once in a while. So uh, that is the human element of it. That you know, as long as we've been doing this, yeah. They are paid handsomely, and we have to talk about it. But on the flip side of it, I can understand where they're coming from. When we've got kids, when people listening have kids, think about being away from them for as long as they are. uh, St. Louis is actually a little closer. Is it? A little closer. Well, (laughs) goes to show you, I don't know where the hell Ontario is. A midpoint um, of of the two, but it's just north of Wisconsin. Oh, okay. Um, Oh, well, congrats, Drew. You're closer. (laughs) Whoops. Yeah, it's... it's, uh, This is why... It's not close to either, to be fair. I should have a a map of... province in uh, Canada in my house. Calgary, Canada. He's Alex. That's Grant. I'm BK. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Are you willing to meet the price for a front end starter if you're the Cardinals? If this is what it's going to require, we'll get into the latest reports on what it might cost in order to go out there and acquire Dylan Cease in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. For better to forget it, you're on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Vegas sets them up and we're here to make the call. It's BK and Ferrario's Bet It or Forget It on 101 ESPN. 
888-344-3999-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for better to forget it. I know people love seeing me miserable, so let's start with this, Alex, today. I do. Better to forget it. The Chiefs are one and done this year in the playoffs. Bet it. Then they're over. Then they're going to overcompensate the soft season and bring in like three wide receivers yeah. and not be able to pay somebody else that's important. Christian's the, gone. Yeah, and then the cycle's just going to keep on chugging. Bet it. They're going to lose in that first round. I and, think a better question would be: oh, Do they score more than one touchdown in that playoff this is game? A better oh, question. Okay. It is a better question. All right. Yeah, they're not scoring a touchdown. As of today, they would play the Buffalo Bills in the first round of oh, the playoffs. Yeah. They will lose that game. Yeah. Boy, and at home, Taylor Swift won't be in attendance, which might be good or bad. I think she's uh, got a, a new tour that starts up. She does. By the time that the playoffs begin. So sorry, T T K. I wonder if he's not going to show up for the playoffs. You know, he hasn't more, shown up in a while. So that's what I'm saying. What's more important? The playoff game, you've already won, or go see Taylor Swift's new tour. That's a fair point. I'd go with I the I would tour. pick the Browns over them. I would pick the Bills over them. Let's do an easier game. Who wouldn't you pick over I them? I would not pick the Jaguars. I think the Jaguars are bad. I, I don't know that the Jaguars are going to make the playoffs. Um, <laughs> I think they're better than the Chiefs, though, man. No, the Jags are bad. <laughs> Uh, I thought the Raiders were bad. <laughs> I don't think I would pick the Colts. I don't think I would pick the Texans. I would not pick the Steelers. We'll see this week with the Bengals. You do realize your team got beat by Aiden O'Connell, right? I mean, no, they didn't get beat by Aiden O'Connell. They got beat by themselves. The Chiefs directly handed the Raiders 14 points. Okay, fine. Aiden but O'Connell the- did not complete a pass after the first quarter. Okay, but fine. Let but- me say this one more time. The Chiefs lost... And the opposing team's quarterback for the final three quarters of play did not complete a forward pass. Yet you're still in fantasy land thinking they're going to beat all these teams in the playoffs. I mean, a lot of these teams are just, they're not very good. The I know I'm Kansas still City's, trying to come to terms with this. Okay? Kansas City's defense let Zamir White run for 145 yards. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um I still, I would still favor the Chiefs over a lot of these other teams, but the Browns or Bills, yeah, I'm taking them. I, and I think those will, one of those two teams is probably who they'll face. So I'm, I'm yeah. gonna say bet it one and, and done. An interim head coach just showed up and just beat Andy Reid and Chiefs. It's amazing. That's what he got. Uh, better or forget it, guys. More than half of the Blues players of the World Juniors tournaments play at least one game in the National Hockey League. Ever? Yeah. Yeah, bet it. You sure about that? You're saying four of the seven play at least one NHL game. Well, three of them are first over or first round picks. Yeah, I mean, so I, I would hope would that those three would. Four of them. Lindstein. Yeah, Stenberg, I was thinking of last year's draft, but yeah, you're right. I'd, I'd be very disappointed if at least four of them don't make it to the NHL. I'm not saying that they're going to be great players, but if they never play an NHL game, that would be a massive disappointment. And Kaskamaki scored today, so he's going to be. He'll be a top line center for the Blues. He'll get a game. He'll make Robert Thomas indispensable. <laughs> Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. That was mine. Bet it. You agree? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) What do you got, Grant? I thought it was pretty clear that I would bet it. So over the next nine games for the Blues, this is their schedule. They've got Dallas tomorrow, Colorado, Pittsburgh. And then to start in January, they'll have Vancouver, Carolina, Florida, the Rangers, the Bruins, and then the Flyers. Pretty tough schedule coming up. In those nine games, the Blues finish above 500, five wins. Forget it. I'm going to say below 500. They're going up against just really good hockey teams. And, and here's it's, what it'll be hard to be above 500 in this. Stretch. And here's what they're not going to get. They're not and, and I'm just using this as an explanation, not an excuse, but they're not going to be taking on the team's backup goaltenders. 
Like Dallas is going to be rested, so you're going to be taking on Jake Ottinger, Colorado. Although Grant and I think that what's his face, Georgiev, Georgiev is, is a backup goaltender. You're going to be taking. You're going to be taking on Tristan Jari with the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're yeah. going to be taking on Demko. Uh, Carolina might be an opportunity for you. You'll probably be taking on their other goaltender with Florida. They're all backup goaltenders. Uh, that's true. I'm going to forget this one. I think. I think the goal in that eight game stretch is to pick up four wins. If you can go four and four then you're in a good spot. The best thing for this Blues team is the fact that a majority of these are played on home ice. You only got two road games in that stretch. So I'm still going to forget this. I say they at least win four, but if, you, if you've ever thought they were going to win more than half, it's going to be because they're on home ice. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to bet this either. I, four, I, I think I agree four wins would be, I think that'd be a step in the right direction, even though, it wouldn't be a winning record in these nine games. I still think four wins with that schedule would be kind of impressive for this team. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line for better to forget it. Guys, better to forget it. Somebody other than the Ravens will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. I'm going to forget this one. I think the Ravens are going to be the team that is there. Although I do think Buffalo and Miami both can make some noise not kansas city but buffalo or <laughs> miami could make some noise <laughs> I, I i do believe baltimore is they're in they're in postseason form right now and i think they just showcased that against the san francisco 49ers they're going to be the toughest team to take down and i think they've got a, a clear shot at it grant i want to get your thoughts on this but i'm going to forget it and the reason why is just i think there are so many teams that are really solid and come about it in different ways that I will take the field over the Ravens. If you told me one of the Ravens, Dolphins and Bills versus the field, I'll I'll take those three teams versus the field. But I I don't know, man. I think this is a year where we're going to get something weird in the postseason. So I'm going to say forget it. I don't think the Ravens end up getting there because I think somebody else will end up knocking them off in the playoffs. You know, I I think I'm going to forget this one. I think it's going to be the Ravens. I've had them since the preseason. And when I, I I think it's tier one Ravens, tier two, nobody, tier three, everybody else. Like, I I think the Ravens are. So you're betting this one. Yes. So far ahead of everybody else. I could see maybe Miami being able to get to them if they can have a game where they just put up a crazy amount of points, but I don't see that happening against that defense. So no, I'm, I'm going with the Ravens here. Better to forget it, boys. Even if the Cardinals signed Snell or traded for Dylan Cease, they would still be considered an inferior team to Atlanta, the Dodgers, the Phillies, and Arizona. If the Cardinals added a number one starter, Snell or Cease, they would still be behind Atlanta, Dodgers, Phillies, or Arizona. Better to forget. Well, they can sign Babe Ruth, and they're probably still going to be behind the Dodgers. Um, uh, if it's one of those two guys, I'm going to say bet it because I – I think they would have to sign like a Framber Valdez or a Logan or trade for Valdez or a Gilbert for me to jump on board with that. I'm still very up in the air about Dylan Cease. Um, I don't think Blake Snell puts you into that conversation. So I'll forget. I'll bet this one. I think those four teams are still better than you even with them. And I would forget it. I think you're better than Arizona. I know that they just went to the World Series this year. And they got more depth in their rotation now. They do. But if you if you ended up getting one of these two guys, I think you could go blow for blow with them in terms of what you have in their rotation and I know people are going to laugh I think the Cardinals have a better lineup uh, than what they have right now in Arizona so I I will forget this one I think that Arizona is not as good as the Cardinals if 
the Cardinals go out and get a legitimate number one starter. For Alex and Grant, I'm BK. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up next, speaking of getting that number one starter, we have a little bit more of a glimpse into what it would take to go out and trade for that guy. We'll tell you what that price could be for the Cardinals. Discuss whether or not we're willing to meet it next here on 101 ESPN. BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hope you all had a very Merry Christmas. T-Bone off today, spending some extra time with the family. He'll be off the rest of this week. He'll be back in, though, with us next week here on the show. Alex, we've been talking a lot about the Cardinals' ability to acquire that front-end starting pitching and whether or not it's going to have to come via trade. And the guy that we've probably spent the most time discussing because he's the one that seems most readily available is Dylan Cease, the starting pitcher for the Chicago White Sox, two years remaining of club control. And it feels like it's a foregone conclusion. He's going to be dealt before the start of next season. Well, we got some more details today on what the asking price is for Dylan Cease. This comes via the Cincinnati uh, newspaper, the Cincinnati Inquirer. And Alex, they say that the price is pretty damn high, to say the least. It was roughly four prospects that's being asked right now from the White Sox um, in response to the Cincinnati Reds. And the price is as follows. Their 2023 seventh overall pick, 22 years old, Rhett Lauder. 2021 first-round pick, starting pitcher. He's 21 years old. He had a 2.4 ERA this year in high A ball. A top 70 prospect, middle infielder. He was at double A this year. Um, He is 20 years old. And then their 2020 second-round starting pitcher as well, who's a borderline top 100 prospect. So, is three of the top four prospects in the red system, including a middle infielder and a bunch of pitchers. And they that won appears pitching. to be what the White Sox are targeting right now. Now, it could be different. They might look at the Cardinal system and say, hey, instead of getting the pitching, we actually really like your position player depth, so we'd like that more than the pitch. I, I don't know. It's hard to say one way or the other. But this is the asking price right now from Chicago to the Reds if the Reds were going to acquire Dylan Cease. Alex, when you see this, and it's a lot of young players, guys that can grow with the White Sox system, what does it tell you about the Cardinals' pursuits of Dylan Cease? That it's going to cost you more than you're probably willing to give up. It's going to take a toll on your farm system to acquire that top pitcher. And again, who knows what they look at that, but just for the purposes of looking at the top four prospects in the Cardinals' system, uh, Tink Hens, Chase Davis, Victor Scott, Takoa Roby. That's the top four. And Mason Wynn's number one, but Mason Wynn might be considered a major league player right now. Regardless, could be that, could be something different. But if you're talking about Tin Kens, TK Roby, Victor Scott, throw in another pitcher, Thomas Sejaci, your farm system takes a a massive hit, but I don't care. I I mean, look, I, I can't be hypocritical on the airwaves and sit here and talk about wanting the starting pitcher and wanting them to be aggressive and not really worrying about the prospects. But then when finding out the price, I, well, you know what? That's too, that's too rich for my blood. It would suck to have to give up Tin Kents and TK Roby. It would suck to have to deplete your, 
uh, infield depth of guys who could be helpful from the trades you just acquired or a Victor Scott. But if you're telling me I can get a top-end starter that puts me in the same conversation as Atlanta, as Philly, as Arizona, to to make myself built if I get to October to go on a run, I got to take that opportunity and worry about my farm system later. The comparison for you would probably be something similar to what I'm about to say. Tinkins, Gordon Graceffo, Thomas Sejaci, Matthew Libertor, or... Uh, Zach Thompson. So the first three, I think, would be set in stone. Hence, Graceffo, Sejaci, and then one of Libertor or Zach Thompson. Yeah. If that's the asking price, it's a lot. It's uncomfortable. It definitely has a significant hint on what your pitching depth would be going into 2024. And I probably still do it. Yeah. And I would do that for either Dylan Cease or... Or Framber Valdez, I think I would do something similar, although I'm not sure the asking price is the same thing. But from the Mariners, I think you have a conversation about whether or not that's right to do for uh, Jesus Luzardo, who has more club control. But I, I probably would end up doing that as well. If this is what teams are looking for, they want your young, cost-controlled starting pitching, I think I'm willing to do that. I'm not willing to do the Nolan Gorman route. I don't want to give up the... Major League ready, left-handed pop when I'm trying to contend for 2024. The reason why I'm trying to go out there and get Dylan Cease, Framber Valdez, etc. is because, man, I'm trying to take into account that I don't know how much longer Paul Goldschmidt's going to be this version of himself. I don't know how much longer I'm going to have prime Nolan Arenado. And I've got to capture, light, capture lightning in the bottle right now. I'm not trying to win in 2026 today. I'm trying to win today right now. And guys like Tink Hint, he might be two years, maybe three years away from being a contributing member of a winning baseball club. I don't know what Gordon Graceffo's role is going to be in the majors this upcoming season. It may take another couple of years before he is a realistic option for you at a mid to high level starting pitcher. Thomas Sejaci, man, he is he's very similar to what you already have in terms of the middle infielders with a lot of um, ability to play all over the field. Right. And Libertor and Thompson, like I've got the other one still. So that's not a huge deal for me either. I, I think this is the kind of move that I would make. Uh, you're, you're just, cause I'm seeing a lot of reaction on the air comfort service text line, three, one, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six saying no freaking way. I'm giving up all of those guys for a, a, a Dylan seats. Look, I'm probably most skeptical about Dylan Cease, but I can't argue with the fact that the dude's going to give you 32 innings. He's going to give you 200 strikeouts, 32 starts. I'm yep. sorry, not innings. 232 innings, something that so would be awful. Right. That's more Tyler Glass now route. But you're going to get 200 plus strikeouts from this guy, and I don't know what the ERA is going to look like. I don't know if if two years ago was an anomaly or this year was an anomaly. But I'd like to find out. I'm speeding up the process. You know what I haven't been good at? bringing up these minor league pitchers that have all of this hype surrounding them and them turning into Dylan Cease or Framber Valdez. I'm trying to win now. The most frustrating thing is when John Mozeliak says, well, we can't play for October if we don't get to October. No, you get to freaking October by planning for October. This is how you plan for October. I have trust and faith and Randy Flores for being able to find more of these top talents available. You've got a seventh overall pick this upcoming draft. Trade these guys, speed up the process so that you can go into this season with a dominant one-two punch and then throw Miles Michaelis in as a third? 
This is what you're supposed to be doing if you're a team that's trying to win. Yeah, from the three one four or excuse me, six three six guys, you always start with a price that is much more than what you're actually going to end up getting. This is not a reasonable request by the Reds, and they will not end up getting this much. Maybe not. But the reason why I wanted to give it up is because even though it is maybe an unreasonable request, I still think it's something that I would consider. Because you're gonna have to overpay. You're going to have to give up more than what you are comfortable with for the Cardinals. So maybe it ends up just being, quote-unquote, Hintz, Sejaci, and Graceffo. And you don't end up having to give up one of Thompson or Libertor. Cool. I'm more than willing to do that. Maybe instead of adding in uh, Sejaci, they want Brendan Donovan. I'm highly uncomfortable with doing that, but I'd be more likely to do that than I would be with Nolan Gorman. I'm not giving up the lefty power. What I would say as my firm stance, if I'm the Cardinals is, Hey, if you're looking at our major league roster, you're looking at the wrong place. We're probably not going to be dealing from our major league positional starters. Now, if you want to talk Dylan Carlson, that's a different conversation. But if you want to talk Alec Burleson, that's a different conversation. The guys though, that we're really trying to have conversations around are the ones that are currently in our minor league system, because the Cardinals have done a very good job in recent years of finding the next version of Gordon Graceffo, the next version of Brendan Donovan, Thomas Ajaci, et cetera. They've got those guys in a plenty coming up to the big leagues. And frankly, man, you've got a bunch of dudes that are in the big leagues right now that are all under contract for multiple seasons. You don't have a lot of spots remaining for those players. So I'm willing to trade for my depth, my surplus down in the minor league system right now. I just don't want to do it for my studs on the major league roster. So the 636 brings up an interesting question, and they say, isn't Dylan Cease a lot like what we traded for with Marcelo Zuna, where we're giving up high-level prospects because we're chasing after something we're bad at? Yes, absolutely. And I'm okay with that. Look, it sucks that Sandy Alcantara has had such success, and you've traded him away. But you needed offense in the outfield. You needed to fill a hole to be a dominant team. Did it work out? Absolutely not. But this was the deal that was in front of you. And the the hard part with this season and why I want, I'm so willing to do it now is it doesn't just have to be Dylan Cease. We've heard Framer Valdez's name available. Now, Logan Gilbert's going to be Nolan Gorman. So if we're not going down that path, but like you could go get a Framer Valdez that also matches the identity of what we're asking for. But look, as much as that, that trade with Miami sucked, I do it again because if I'm deficit in one area and I'm not going to upgrade it internally, man, I got to fix it ASAP. Yeah, it is the same thing as what you did. Like it is. If we're just being totally honest, this is the Marcelo Zuna trade all over again. And you had to do it and you have to do it again. This is why I will never be as critical about that trade as a lot of Cardinals fans are. It's because, man, you needed a cleanup hitter. Previously, your iteration of a cleanup hitter, your version of it, was Paul DeYoung. That was never going to work. So you got to find somebody that can work out as your cleanup hitter because they were trying to contend then. And they wanted to do so without going out and paying hundreds of millions of dollars for that player. Now, I think you can make a strong argument. They should have just gone out and played in the free agent market. Fair. But they're not going to. And therefore, let's talk realistic. What are you going to do to acquire that player? They got to trade for him. And Marcelo Zuna, at the time that they acquired him, was not their first choice. They wanted Giancarlo Stanton. That also would have been an absolute disaster of a contract for them yeah, to be able to acquire. You thought it was rough with Tyler O'Neill. Imagine Stanton. But they ended up not getting him because he wanted to play in New York. Fair, cool, you move on. Next one up, they wanted to try out and try to acquire Christian Yelich. The Marlins at the time said, we are not trading Christian Yelich. We don't want to deal him. But we do have another outfielder that just hit 35 home runs and was a gold glover at the time, Ooh. believe it or not. 
and we are willing to listen to offers on him. And so the Cardinals said, you know what, this is our best opportunity to be able to get somebody that can hit the middle of our order. He was a cleanup hitter for the Marlins. He can be the cleanup hitter here. He can do the job, right? They went out and they got him. And they gave up a massive haul in order to acquire him. And it didn't work. That does not mean you decide now to bulk at the price. It means it didn't work out that time. And it might not work out this time. Or it may work out better this time around. It may end up where now you get the version of Randy Rosarena. Where Randy Rosarena was the ready-made major league player. And you were ending up acquiring the minor league depth, right? You were hopeful that Matthew Libertor can become something. Well, he hasn't. And now it looks silly from the other perspective where you lost out on getting the minor league talent while giving up the major league piece. Well, now you're doing it at the reverse again. It doesn't matter which way you go. You can always lose these trades. I would rather you have the gumption, the belief in yourself to go out there and make the deal and hope that you get it right than to just sit out and say, you know what, because we got burned one time, we're never making this deal again. Somebody also said that you don't have to do this. These are Band-Aid moves. The team is not a Dylan Cease away from being anything good. If this team is not a top starting pitcher away from being good, then you better, you're better off blowing it up and rebuilding because I don't know how closer you could be to making a trade to jumpstart or at least open up a winning window to this roster where you have the young talent offensively. You've got MVP caliber players already in your system. You've got a good length in your rotation now of guys that could provide you something. Your bullpen's your biggest weakness, and if that's still a weakness at the deadline, you go out and you make a move for that. If this team is not at the point where you say, bleep it, we've got to go for it, you're never going to get there. So somebody on the text line asked, fair question, so how do we end up getting guys like Goldie and Arenado for so cheap, but then we have to overpay for a what-if type of a player? So there's a legitimate reason for that. Paul Goldschmidt wanted to come here. Yeah. And he said, I'm not going to all those other places. So you have very limited leverage if you're the Diamondbacks. You're not extending him. You're not going to give him the money that he's looking for. He's only got, I think at the time, two years remaining on his contract, if I remember correctly. And he wants to come to St. Louis. So... The Cardinals have you over the barrel. You've got to accept what they're willing to offer. Now, the Cardinals gave them something of substance. It just didn't work out for the Diamondbacks at all. It was a horrible trade when you look back on it now. But so they had to accept. Nolan Arenado told the Rockies, I'm willing to go to one of two teams, the Cardinals or the Dodgers. Cardinals ended up making it work, and a big part of that was the contract. And he was making $35 million a year. So he has a no-trade clause, and he's making a ton of money there's only so many spots that he can go to. So instead of getting into a bidding war, like in free agency, where you've got 10 different teams that can or would take on whatever that contract is, it was two. And the bidding didn't get extraordinarily high, so the Cardinals are able to take on that contract. They basically did, in the Rockies' mind, them a favor. And the Rockies sent $50 million along with them, a future Hall of Famer. Because, of course, (laughs) this is not that. This is the opposite of that. What we're talking about is the most valuable commodity in all of Major League Baseball which is cheap, young, cost-controlled starting pitching. Every single team in Major League Baseball is going to be in on Dylan Cease to some degree. All of them are at least making the call of what would it take. So when you've got, let's say, eight serious bidders for him, yeah, the price is going to get exorbitant. And the same thing would be true for the Mariners guys, the Marlins guys, uh, Framber Valdez. It's going to take a lot to trade for any of these players because that pitcher does not have any leverage. He doesn't have a no trade clause. He's not on the end of his contract. Like 
This is a situation where everybody should be getting in on the bidding. So it's a very different situation. That's how you end up getting this massive haul that goes in return. The White Sox have all of the leverage. The Astros would have all of the leverage. The Marlins and Mariners, all of the leverage. The Cardinals would be the one that has to get desperate in order to make this kind of a deal. I remember asking Doug Armstrong at the draft in uh, Nashville this past year uh, because they had drafted more left-handed defensemen. And I was like, man, you guys got a ton of these left-handed defensemen. And he's like, the reason you draft an area like that is because you draft the talent that you believe is there and you know that they're not all going to make it to the pros. There's only a certain amount of spots available to you. Those pieces, if they all develop the same way, all become assets to make your team better. And he said, we've done this in the past with a lot of guys in one area, and we've traded them away. It's what they did to acquire Vladimir Tarasenko draft rights to draft him that season. So I'm I'm making that point to say the reason you have Tink Hens and you traded for TK Roby, and you have Cooper Jerpy and Graceffo and McGreevy is because... You believe that all five of those guys could be rotations in your in your someday, but you isolate the ones that you feel like can be the best, and you isolate the ones that you also think could help your team, but might help your team more to acquire pieces exactly. that make your team dominant now. That's where you go with it. You're hoping one of those pitchers that you just mentioned becomes Dylan Cease. And, you, and instead, why don't we just get Dylan Cease? Right. Somebody on the text line said, guys, why are we so high on Dylan Cease? He's certainly not an ace. Maybe not, but he's pretty damn good. I mean, two years ago, he was second in Cy Young votes. If you have him and Sonny Gray at the front of your rotation, you're a contender. Now, are you as good as the Dodgers? Nope. There's nothing you can do to be as good as the Dodgers. Are you as good as the Braves? I think no. And I don't think there's anything you can do to be as good as the Braves. Are you as good as the Phillies? No. And again, I don't think there's anything you can do, realistically speaking, to be as good as that team either. But you close the gap. Now, instead of being a team that has very little shot of beating those teams in the postseason, now you've given yourself a fighting chance because suddenly... You have the pitching that can stack up. So if you missed it at the beginning of this segment, you got in a little bit late. There's a report coming out of Cincinnati that the Chicago White Sox are asking the Reds for three of their top four prospects and a pitcher that is just getting up to the big leagues this year. 2023 seventh overall pick, a 2021 first round pitcher, a top 70 infield prospect and uh, the 2020 second-round pitcher as well. So a bunch of pitching is what they're looking for from the Reds. The same may be true from the Cardinals. The equivalent of that would be something like Tinkins, Gordon Graceffo, Thomas Sejaci, and one of Libertor or Thompson. So if the Cardinals are going to make the move, it's going to take a lot to do it. Coming up next, it's time for the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trust wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Alex and Gray and I'm BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alex, are you a gift card guy or a money guy? If you're giving somebody a gift for Christmas, for birthday, for um, maybe a wedding, etc., are you doing gift cards or are you doing money cash? Solid question, but I'm always a gift card guy because cash seems... Cash seems like you didn't put an effort in, and at least the gift card shows that I went somewhere to get you something. Let me ask this in reverse. Do you prefer getting gift cards or money? 
Money. Give me give me money. Interesting yeah. how that happens, yeah. isn't it? Where you're yeah. like, hey, if somebody else, if I'm giving it to somebody, that means that I didn't give them a but thought. It's, but, but it's when the you perception. Want it, I know, but when you are thinking about what I prefer, I would prefer to use that money in whatever capacity I'd like, right? But maybe I tell people to give me cash, sure. where somebody's just like, well, I don't know. I'm going to get you a gift card. Grant, what about you? Are you a gift card guy or a cash guy? So, or Venmo. I, you can yeah, argue Venmo there, I too. I think, for me personally, I'd prefer to have cash. Because honestly, at this point in my life, I need to put money towards like bills. Um, but the thing with that is like, if you get me a gift card, I'm also going to be happy because then I have to spend it on something. Like I have to go out and get something, sure. which is nice because then it feels like an actual yeah, gift. That pisses my me problem off more than is anything. I always either forget that I have the gift card to yep. a place. I've got like 30 gift cards in our office just sitting there. And we oh. like, we'll go to dinner sometime. Oh, at your house. I thought you meant back there. I'm no, like, I'll be no, right no, back. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, we'll go to dinner sometimes. And I'm like, crap. Mm-hmm. I forgot the gift card that we have to this place. And it's sitting at home right now. And so I, we need something that you can put on your phone. And there's probably somebody that's done something like this. But there needs to be something that you can put Digital on your phone. Digital gift cards. Or it basically becomes like the, uh, the Apple wallet. And it's just got all of your gift cards in here. And I can just pull it up wherever I go. And if I've got a gift card on it, it's ready to go i can use why it don't there. you just like rubber band them together and put them in your glove box or something could do that i'm gonna tell you right now forget them in my glove box yeah i was gonna say they won't <laughs> be in there i'll just forget that i have them because so, i'm forgetful so this is why it should just be like gift cards to places specifically should just be banned and they should all sell visa gift cards But the problem with those is that they expire if you the don't visa use, gift cards yep, do? if you don't use them by a specific day they will continue losing money losing value over time oh well that's why I go out and spend it right away. Sure. And be no like, thank you. It. And they can be really frustrating to use at certain places. I don't know if this is the case everywhere, but I know at Home Depot, I tried to use my uh, Visa <laughs> gift card, and they were like, nah, man, this ain't going to work. I was like, well, well, they probably looked at you like, you shouldn't be in here. The reason why I ask this, Alex, is because an Illinois family's Christmas vacation to Disney World oh, was God, nearly ruined. Saw this. Due to gift cards. So this family wanted to save some money. Alex, as you know... Disney World is a very expensive trip, especially when you have a family of 16 that is all going to Disney World together. Hard pass. Yeah. So that to save some money, the parents decided to buy $10,000 in gift cards from Costco. So they're doing this in a bundle and that 25% off. Like, okay, this is a good deal. We'll spend $7,500 instead of ten grand. Saved a lot of money on this on this vacation, right? Uh-oh. One small problem here. When they purchased the gift cards, they weren't for Disney World. They were for Disney Plus. So they have $10,000 in Disney Plus gift cards instead of the gift cards that can help them buy the rooms right. and the tickets and everything they're going to need for their but experience down in Disney World. gift cards say Disney Plus gift cards? Yep. I would be... 70 years of Disney Plus is I would what be they essentially purchased. So pissed off at the Disney individual Plus that for did life, that. baby. I would be, what are you doing? How do you look, not look at the gift card that you're putting $10,000 on and say, this one's the right one? I'd be pissed. No Disney World for us. Apparently, the marketing is very clear on the Disney Plus gift cards, and the parents absolutely should have seen this, but, oh boy. So, but can't you return that? No. So, So like, you can't go- Most gift cards are, like, done, final, you cannot return. So, you can't go back and say, like, look, this was supposed to be for Disney World. 
And so Disney, being a smart organization, has turned this into good PR. And they are going to turn the $10,000 worth of Disney Plus gift cards into $10,000 worth of Disney Park gift cards. So they did rectify the situation. The family will get it taken care of. They have placed this money to the right place. Now, they're all good. But if this was like you, me, Grant, and we had spent, you know, 500 bucks on Disney and we didn't make this into a viral sensation. Nah, man, we'd just be screwed. Here's a real question. How good are you, Disney? Did you also give them the next 70 years free of Disney Plus? (laughs) (laughs) Lifetime Disney Plus. How good are you, Disney? Oof. I would be so pissed. I'd be like, they're the gift. It says on the gift card, Walt Disney World, not Disney Plus. It's not what you want. And and if you're the attendant at Costco, and I understand they're not going to look at that, but wouldn't you oh. look? Wouldn't you look at a gift card? You guys card must for- really love Disney Plus. They'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, are you buying an entire corporation Disney Plus subscription? Is that what we're why, going why, with here? What do you need a gift card for Disney Plus for? Can't you just put it on your credit card well, for the next seven years? And, and they do because there was one time where I went out and I bought a bunch of gift cards at once, and the person that was there was like. You know you can't return these, right? Yeah. Like you, you, you cannot come back with these. I was like, I know. Yeah. Red alarm bells would have gone yeah. off. Somebody just texted in, Susan. Why wouldn't a Costco person say, "What the bleep is wrong with you? Why are you buying this much Disney Plus money?" So it's fair. I blame the Costco person, but it's on the person. It's on the individual yeah. for not knowing exactly what they were purchasing. Man. When you're spending ten thousand dollars, if you're spending ten thousand dollars on something, Alex, I don't know how you are, but I typically <laughs> have multiple checks. I'm like, okay, my. Everything's right here. We're good. I, I've never spent $10,000 on any gift card, but I would have to imagine. I, I mean, that's that's like a down payment on a, a house I or do, a car. I do self-destruction to myself when I'm paying $10,000 for something. I'm like, okay, do I really need this? <laughs> Is this really that important? Can I get away without having this? Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of in or out. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. But next, the Blues seem to be finding some offense. But is it a sustainable way of going about it? Alex has some thoughts that may not be the most positive. We'll get to negative Nancy over there coming up Ooh. next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The Blues are 12 and 1 this year when they score at least 4 goals this season. The only loss, Alex, yeah, came against the Red Wings. Oh. Later that night, Craig Berube was fired. Yeah, but it wasn't his fault. When the Blues score 4, they should win. And so far under Drew Bannister, they're doing that more often than not. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Grant Francis, I'm Brandon Kylie. The Blues' four wins with Drew Bannister at the helm have all come with at least four goals for them. The one game where they didn't get to four goals, it was that game against Tampa Bay. We all know what happened there. It did not go particularly well for the Blues. Alex, the Blues seem to be finding their offense. And a lot of this is coming because they have finally found some semblance of consistency on the power play in their last four games. They are four for nine scoring on the power play. Is this sustainable, though? Because I like what the results look like. They're four and one in their last five games, scoring a bunch of goals. It's fun. It's exciting. But do you view this offense that they have seemingly found as being a sustainable way to go about it? I don't. Um, And I'm sorry for the 636 that didn't want me to... Go the opposite of sunshine and lollipops, but here's my reason why. I think everybody can get on board with this. Their offense that they're scoring right now is solely based on Kairou Thomas and Buchnevich. And unlike what they were two years ago when offense was their identity, 
When you lost to David Perron, when Vladimir Tarasenko would go silent, you had Cairo stepping up. You had Thomas stepping up. You had O'Reilly stepping up. Shen stepping up. Right now, the problem is you've got one line that's dominating. And what we saw prior to that one line dominating is they weren't. And there was nobody else that was stepping up to help in their absence. And by nobody else, one guy was. Jake Neighbors was on a tear, but nobody else was on that line with them. I just looked at this when we were talking with JR back in the 12 o'clock hour. So in this five games under Drew Bannister, the Blues have put up a total of 47 points. So 47 points out of all of their players in five games. Only nine of those 47 points came from their bottom three lines. Mm. So your defense has put up more points than your second, your third, and your fourth line. So is it sustainable? Sure. But it, to be sustainable would mean that Kairou Thomas and Buchnevich are all pushing 100-point seasons, and it means that they're finding ways to beat the best of the best. Now, here's the thing. They did it against Dallas, and Dallas has got a very good top line that plays good defensive hockey with Rope Hintz. And they did it against Florida. And they did it against Barkov, one of the best two-way centermen in the game. But Also did it against Chicago yeah, and Ottawa. Connor Bedard, who's more focused on the Michigan than defense. True. But it, it can be sustainable until that line goes quiet. And when that line goes quiet, that's where I think their, their problem is. They don't have the secondary pieces that can step up and push. And that line's been amazing. At even strength under Drew Bannister, they've been arguably the best line in the NHL. They've outshot opponents while on the ice at even strength. 50 to 22. Yeah. 50 shots on goal for the Thomas Kyrubuchnevich line. 22 shots on goal for the opposition when they are on the ice in their last five games. That's tremendous. That is elite level production out of that line they've outscored opponents eight to four in this stretch they've outchanced them 41 to 22 so when that line is on the ice they are absolutely dominating the opposition unfortunately for the blues every single other line has been outscored at five on five at even strength every line not named thomas booch and Cairo has been outscored in this stretch of time under drew banister so you have no depth of scoring whatsoever. The Kevin Hayes line, two goals. The Torpchenko line, two goals. Jake Neighbors, two goals. Every other line has scored two goals mm-hmm. so far at even strength. A lot strength. of those goals. Oh, okay. Even strength. Those are even a lot of strength those. under Drew Bannister. So this is where it gets really tough, man. Is is it something that is sustainable? It really comes down to how sustainable do you believe it is that the top line plays this way? Mm-hmm. And I. I tend to agree with you, Alex. Like, while they are playing really well, if you look at the underlying numbers, they've scored 10 goals on the ice while they're out there at even strength. Their expected numbers are five, which is really good. Mm-hmm. Their expected goals against is like two to three. So they are <laughs> well outchancing, well outscoring their opposition. But they, based on their expected goals, have well outperformed any of the reasonable expectations. If you get even close to a little bit of a regression, Dude, now you're talking about it and we're saying, okay, they're scoring two to three goals on average because they don't have the depth of scoring. When the top line isn't out there, they're not generating offense. They have to rely too much almost on the power play now, and things start to regress in a serious way. So that is my concern. I think it's a real concern, and as you go up against these top-level teams, I think what you're going to see is them take away more of what's coming from that top line 
And now you do need to get a little bit more coming out of those bottom nine forwards. Yeah. And I mean, look, I mean, we could be eating our words in a couple of weeks and Braden Shen breaks out of his slump. You know, Kapanen has been getting good scoring opportunities. He's just not been finding the back of the net. But this is just the concern for right now. Hopefully this concern goes away at the end of this season and you see more growth from Jake Neighbors. You see maybe Jimmy Snuggerud crack this lineup after his college season is done. But the problem is Shen... Hayes, Saad, those are three guys that are going to be here for the next three years unless something crazy happens. And you've been unable to find chemistry, and you've juggled up everybody. Hayes and Shen have played together. Sunquist has played in the top six. Toropchenko's been playing in the top nine. Saad's played with everybody. Braden Shen's been at his best when he played with Jordan Cairo. And Kevin Hayes has been at his best when he's played with Jordan Cairo. So if that line's going to stay together and you want to keep that line dominating, that's great. But you're going to have to find some type of chemistry, whether that's calling guys up from the AHL, making an in-season trade. There's got to be some type of of chemistry built in that second and third line that has not been seen yet. So here's what I would say. I'm not tearing that group apart. No. Because it's what I'm building around, not just for this year. Like this season, we've talked about it, Alex. It's about more than just 2023-24. This season, for some of the guys, it's about 25, 26, 27, etc., and for those three in particular, like you got to make a decision this offseason probably on whether or not you, hell, maybe even in season, about whether or not you're keeping Pavel Buchnevich around for the long haul. Would you break that up because you want to see if he can play with other lines? No, because I want to find out if they can play together as an elite line together. But and if you're going to put $8 million tied to three players, maybe. I, maybe. That's tough to build a team around it. Is it though? I mean, like, if, you, if you're building around these young guys that are also coming up, if you think Jimmy Snuggerud and Dvorsky and Bolduke, et cetera, can be significant pieces in your top nine, you can you can alleviate some of that money based on those guys that are going to be in your lineup for super cheap. Yeah, You've got Jake Neighbors already, who's a clear contributing member of a top nine group. I think for a, a legitimate contender, maybe not a, a Stanley Cup contender right now, but I think he can play for a contender that that means that you can offset some of that big-time salary that's going to be up front. Look at the contenders around the NHL. Most of them have three guys that are making that kind of money. Now, whether or not they play on the same line together the entirety of the game, I like the fact that they can. So I, I, would, not, I would not pull those guys apart. Yeah. If they're continuing to have this kind of success, hey, man, let those guys succeed, and we'll figure out what to do around them. That is our job is to make sure that the rest of the lineup gets pieced together but if for 2024, this this upcoming spring, your team ends up missing out on the playoffs by a couple of games, but the top line was super successful together, that's a success to me in terms of your forward group. I'm the same way with you, and I wouldn't break up that line. I only asked the question just for devil's advocate here sure. to decide if this is somebody you want to pay that money to. Do you need them to play everywhere? But look, some of the best lines in hockey, they've tried to break up McKinnon and Rantanen, and they say, why do we keep breaking this up? When they work together, keep them together. So... If that's three guys that are going to make a combined $24 million for so the next it. seven years, good. You better hope that Snuggerud and Dvorsky come through. You need the best from Shannon Hayes and neighbors, and then you got to find some type of trade to make that top nine work. But, yeah, I mean, until they start to break and other teams figure them out, they stay together. So the best teams in the NHL, just to go through this really quickly, Alex, to your point on on the money that you're potentially going to have to be spending for those those top-line players. Vegas, pretty good, right? We mm-hmm. can agree. Their top three forwards are making 10, 9.5, and, and 6. So you combine the three together, it's about $25 million for mm-hmm. those top three forwards that they have in their lineup. 
Uh, the Colorado Avalanche, 12.5, 9.5, So you're talking about 23, 24 million bucks. And that 6.1 is going to go up. And they've also got a $7 million player in Gabriel Landeskog. So if you just wanted to do that, it's yeah. 16, about 20, 27 million bucks between mm-hmm. their top three forwards. Uh, Toronto, if you look at their top three forwards, it's about $32 million that they're paying them. Uh, Boston, you look at their top three forwards that they have right now. You combine those three, it's about $24 million as well. And the Rangers, another top team in the NHL, 11.5, 8.5, and 6.5. You combine those together, it's about $26 million. You can do this. You can combine to have your top three forwards making significant money. You've just got to be able to make up for it by your your bottom six being really cheap. And that's where the Blues have to make sure they're right on their prospects. If they miss on the prospects... Now you're just going to be super light. Mm-hmm. And now you look around, and you're like, okay, we're Edmonton. Because we've got some legit star players, but we have nothing around yeah. them. Well, and you also got to focus on your defense, too, and figure out what you're going to do on that because you're still missing one element in that top four. But, yeah, I mean, you can make it work. A lot of the teams do make it work, but you're right. You have to have the right mindset from prospects in your bottom six to be a competitive team, and that's the dip-off for a lot of teams that want to be Stanley Cup contenders. Coming up in 15 minutes, I'm not sure I can remember an NFL MVP race that's been this volatile this late into the season and I think the current version of the MVP frontrunner is just flat out wrong. We'll discuss that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. In or out coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with BK and Ferrario. So nice you get it today twice. Alongside Alex and Gray and I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of in or out. 314-399-9646 is the air covered service text line for in or out. Guys, in or out, the fight in the line are going to be a elite eight team or better this season. Out. I don't even know why I hesitated that long. It's not happening. We know the, the trend with this team. Is I this, like this Illinois? Is team. this really better though than what they had with um with uh, uh that that was a bad they got a bad draw. You're talking about Io? Yeah, Io and Kofi. Like mm-hmm. that team was that team was an elite. And I get they got a bad draw, but I mean, I feel that Illinois never has a good draw because they just struggle in that first round. So I, I'm gonna say out. I think I'm in. I like this team a lot, and I think they're starting to develop more secondary scoring. I think what you're seeing this year is that Coleman Hawkins is not being asked to be the guy on every possession along with Terrence Shannon. And if you can put him into more of a secondary scoring role where his ability to pass, be like a a playmaker, a creator for others, be a great rebounder, be a versatile defender, that is where he's at his best. If he is asked to be one of your primary scorers, I I just don't know that he's going to be able to fill in that capacity. But I think you're starting to see They've got other guys that can score on a consistent basis. What they did this weekend against Mizzou was nothing short of spectacular. That Their offense has not looked that good in as long as I can remember. I think this is a legitimate tournament caliber team in terms of like getting deep into the tournament. I'm going to say in. I think this is a team that can go on a run this year. They've got Terrence Shannon, who's that veteran guard that you need. They've got Coleman Hawkins, who can be a, a legit stud defender. 
and they've got some secondary scoring. So I, I like this team a lot. Uh, in or out, fellas, at the end of this season, Drew Bannister will deserve to be hired as the head coach. Deserve to be and actually be let are me two say, different things. Let so me I say will the say best, in. Let me say that he, he will be the best option available to the Blues at the end of the season. What do we think happens in Carolina? That's the one. I really think... I. I so here's the thing. I If Carolina walks away or doesn't re-sign Rod Brendamore, I'm not sure Rod Brendamore is available. Like, Rod Brendamore has made it very clear he doesn't want to be anywhere other than Carolina. And if it's they easy to say right now. It is, but do you still have that burning fire to coach at the NHL? Or as a player who spent so many years playing the game and then coaching the game, do you finally say, you know what, I need to step away for a few years? I mean, he's he's only, what, 53, yeah. 54 he's years young, old? He's young, but I mean, he jumped into coaching immediately following him playing. I feel like that's one of those things where he's going to get fired or get whatever they want to call it, right? Allowed to walk. Yeah. And he's going to be like, you know what? I don't want to sit around. Yeah. I I don't, I've got too much competitive fire. I've got unfinished business. I feel like I was done dirty here. And he, he has been. He's a really good NHL coach, but it's fifth year, man. It's the fifth year for him in Carolina, and you know how this goes. When you get to year five, stuff starts to go stale for whatever reason because these players, they just tune you out. So that's a really— So to answer the question, yeah. I'm going to say in. I do think he will be more than deserving. Do I think he will be the best candidate? I think that entirely depends upon what happens with Rod Brindamore. And so I, if I think that he's going to walk, and I do, I'm going to say out that he ends up getting hired. So I'm really glad you said that five-year thing. Because here's my thought process. Maybe this is just tinfoil. If you give Drew Bannister the shot, you're doing with him the same thing that you did to get to Ken Hitchcock. Now, it wasn't the five years, but you had a group that you felt like could win, but you, they weren't sacrificial ready. Sacrificial lamb almost. Yeah, and that's what um, that's what Davis Payne was. Davis Payne was that sacrificial lamb to where you came in, you're like, maybe we get a young voice following Andy Murray, and he'll get these guys going. And you got some of it, but you said this team's ready to have the discipline to win. There's sure. Drew Bannister because all, I personally feel like his job here solely relies on the play of Kyru and Thomas. Yeah. Those two guys, if they play well, Bannister gets it. But do you just give it to him because you look at this and you say, you know what? We need a couple of years of discipline and accountability with these guys. And then we go get the guy when they're ready to start winning the Stanley Cup. That's my tinfoil with with the decision that takes place following this season. But would, I, I would say I'm in on this. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense because the same guy that's, and I'm not saying that this is the case for Bannister because he did go to a championship down in Springfield, Absolutely. didn't win it, but he did go there. But sometimes the guy that's really good at developing players aren't isn't the same guy that's really good at winning championships or doing you know having yeah. success in the playoffs. So to be determined with Drew Bannister, but... It makes sense. Like you bring him in right now because the purpose is to develop these players that he already knows well, that played well for him. Once he serves that purpose, if this team isn't getting to that next level, then mm-hmm. it's kind of time. About at it. That you point. get to you get to two, three, four years with Drew Bannister. You're in the prime of Thomas and Kairu's career where you start to get to the point where you say, you know what, it might be start time to win. Yeah, uh, I I am starting to become open minded to the idea of Drew Bannister long term now. Yeah. We'll see what season looks like. That's there's the there's thing. a lot of time here, man, before we get to April, much less before we get to like June. Um, but, but none of us, let's be honest here. None of us knew anything about Drew Bannister as a head coach. Nope. It, what it was going to look like at the NHL level when they announced that he was going to be the interim guy. If we're just judging it based so far, five games, incredibly small sample size. 
on how he speaks to the media, which is a big part of the job, how he appears to be getting buy-in from his players early on, and how he approached specifically the Pavel Buchnevich situation where he held him accountable with ice time, not just by taking him aside and talking to him. I think it's gone pretty well. We want to look at how he's not overhauled, but got more production out of the power play. It's gone pretty well. So, so far, so good. Again, there's a lot of time remaining. Which, again, also, if you lose that game to Chicago, I think there's a absolutely different tone taking sure. place right but now. Did but they did. And they, they mm-hmm. have now had multiple games in their first five under Bannister where they've been able to come back. One by two goals, one by three. Yep. And they have not done either of those two things in the first you know 30 games of the season. So yep. credit where it's due. He's getting that out of them, and he deserves the praise, just as we would be critical if he wasn't getting any of the, that kind of production out of the guys. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for in or out. Grant, do you have anything for us, by the way, for in or uh, out? I was going to say, for the World Juniors that are happening right now, Jimmy Snuggard with a goal earlier today, by the way. Hey-o. He scored the first goal of the game. There's Snuggies. another guy whose name is Gavin Brindley, who scored twice today. But by the end of the World Juniors, in or out that Jimmy Snugger leads the U.S. in goals. I'm going to say out on that one because they've got a lot of elite goal scorers on that team. Not that Snugger not. But if you were to say lead the team in points, I would say I'm in on that one. Because I think Jimmy Snuggerud's going to be one of the leaders on that team because there's not a whole lot of those guys left. Um, Armstrong talked about it with Curbs on this Curbside podcast that, you know, the reason he went back to University of Minnesota was you got to learn how to play without the elite guys with you. Sure. He had Logan Cooley last year in Minnesota. He's not there anymore. Snuggerud went back to learn that process of, like, you don't have the elites making it. You have to be the elite. I, I think he's the guy that leads in points. I'm not sure in goals, but he's going to be a guy that's going to be everywhere in USA's in games. In out to go off of this. Jimmy Snuggerud ends up being the winger for Robert Thomas. That ends up being the pairing with Buchnevich and Kairou being on the same line with somebody else as their center. Long term. I'll say I'm out on that one. I think Jimmy Snuggerud plays with second line center, whoever that is. Right? Obviously, it's going to be Shen, but how long is that? Does Shen, because I'm a winger with Hayes, do they go get another centerman? But I think if the Kairou line meshes so well, you'd see a hell of a line combination of neighbors Shen and Jimmy Snuggerud. One-time shot, power forward presence, gritty centerman. It's what you want. And you see that probably next season. Yeah, into I don't think yeah. the year after. I, Maybe the year after you have Dvorsky coming up too. With neighbors Thomas and Snuggerud. I would much rather have Booch with... I go off of pairs. I would much rather have Booch and Thomas together and Kairou and Shen together. So you can mix and match. I mean, Snuggerud plays a right wing. Snuggerud with Thomas and Booch. Neighbors with Shen and Kairou. That'd be fun. That's the depth. That's your depth of line. Yeah. And honestly, to, to you're to, missing one guy in your top six you are. right now. That, that's what it really and is. The, and then coming in the next season. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's a centerman. But to Grant's point, I would say you'll see that at the beginning or at the end of this season a little bit. Because if you're going to put Snuggerud in this lineup like they did with Matthew Nice, you're playing him with a responsible centerman to put him in a good position, which is Braden Shen. All right, let's get to a few of these from the text line. 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, in or out, if the Bills make the playoffs, they will be the team that, quote, nobody wants to play, end quote. In. The Bills are the team nobody wants to play going into the postseason because they have a quarterback that <laughs> beats the hell out of you. Frustrating as heck. He can make all the plays. And in any individual game, he can just 
make you wrong defensively. Yeah, mind you, he's been winning, what is it, five straight that Diggs has had less than 100 yards receiving? Yeah, he, he can find ways. And they're figuring out how to get this running game incorporated as well. Now, they did not play well this weekend. Classic mm-hmm. trap game going up against a backup quarterback. That was a bad job by me by not seeing that one coming. They've essentially been playing playoff games for a month. And I think they were exhausted and mentally, physically, they just didn't have it this past weekend. I think they will in the next two. And I think when they get to the postseason, that is a team that nobody's going to want to play. Yeah, I think the, the the clear team that nobody wants to play in, in the AFC is the Baltimore Ravens. But I think the Buffalo Bills are the only other team that will be viewed as nobody wants to play against them. Right. Miami, I think teams will say, we can take advantage of this defense and we'll just go into a I sling like shooter. Defense. I think I'm starting to, to believe in them more I feel than like, I did previously. I feel like they're what Baltimore was at the beginning of the season where everyone was like, I'm falling for it. I'm like, yeah, I'm not falling for this crap. And then four weeks later, I fell for it. I think with Buffalo, the biggest thing is carrying the momentum into the postseason. Like that, that I think that's something that's forgotten about sometimes. But I think it's so huge going into the postseason, having that confidence with how they're playing right now. If they finish the season on a high note, nobody's going to want to play them come playoffs. And the crazy thing is, it's possible. Miami will be locked into that two seed. If Miami ends up winning this upcoming weekend, and it's not going to be easy, they are taking on the Baltimore Ravens on the road. But if Miami wins that game, I believe they will be locked into the two seed, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. No, actually, no. They, they could get they the have, one seed because then they would have the head-to-head over Baltimore. Yeah. So th- this weekend is going to be pretty significant in terms of the seeding. And then that last game, man, it might be for the division. The Buffalo Bills could still get the two seed in the AFC, believe it or not. Jeez. All right, coming up next, let's stick with the NFL. What a crap conference. I can't <laughs> remember the last time the MVP race was this volatile, and a lot of it has to do with what we were just talking about, where nobody has a good handle on any of these teams, and therefore these the top contender seems to get upset every week. Who is the current MVP frontrunner, and should they be the frontrunner? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. So far this year, we've seen Patrick Mahomes listed as the MVP favorite. We saw uh, Brock Purdy listed as the favorite. There was a point in time where it was Dak Prescott's award to lose. Oh, but do you remember? Hey, Jalen Hurts earlier this season as well. We've seen this thing move all around. Alongside Alex and Grant on BK, you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I can't remember a time in which the NFL's MVP award this late into the season was this volatile, Alex. It feels like whoever the big quarterback is for the great team that won that week's primetime matchup, that is the new favorite to win the award seemingly every single week. And so this week, the flavor of the week is Lamar Jackson. Because Lamar was pretty darn good, and his team is now clearly, in most people's eyes, the best in the NFL. They slayed the dragon that was the San Francisco 49ers, which were last week's version of the clear-cut, no doubt about it, everybody believes, best team in the NFL. So if you look over on FanDuel, the new odds, Lamar Jackson is minus 170 to win the MVP this year, which means you have to bet $170 to win $100. He is the overwhelming favorite. After that... It is now Christian McCaffrey as the second leading contender for the MVP at roughly five to one. And then you've got the others, Tua at nine to one, Josh Allen and Brock Purdy at 13 to one, Dak Prescott at 19 to one, Tyreek Hill and a bunch of long shots at 22 to one or longer. 
Alex, I understand why there has been such an overreaction to yesterday where Lamar Jackson put together a good game and looked great against a amazing defense. I don't think he's been the league MVP, though. If you look at his numbers so far this year and just watching the games, you've mentioned this a number of times, Alex, he was inconsistent to start Mm -hmm. out the season. And his numbers are not that of a typical MVP candidate. I can't tell you who I think should win the MVP right now because I'm not sure there is an overwhelming favorite. But I can tell you this. If I was setting the odds, I would not have Lamar as like a minus 170 favorite. I would have all of these dudes at like 6-1. to one. Mm-hmm. Lamar at 6-1, to one, McCaffrey at 6-1, to one, Tua, Tyreek, Josh Allen, Brock Purdy, Dak Prescott. Just put all of them into a blender and let's see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Because right now, I don't think anybody has taken this thing and run with it. Yeah, if you, this, this is the year it feels like that the MVP of the league should be determined on the postseason as well as the regular season because... It's all so similar. I wouldn't have Lamar Jackson there because I I look at two guys where I would say these are the clear cut MVPs in my opinion that still have been un, or have yet to be dethroned, and it's Dak and it's Josh Allen. And I put Dak up there still following. Josh Allen, interesting. Yeah, I mean following two games to where like his team lost, but as we talked earlier. You still got two touchdowns against Miami, and you drove down the field to score with three minutes left. Your defense didn't win that game. It's not Dak's fault. You didn't look good against Buffalo on the road. But other than that, I don't think there's been a quarterback better since the end of October than Dak. And the reason I'd still have Josh Allen there is because Josh really is the MVP of his team. And frankly, of the league, if this team still has a shot to be a top two seed, a number two seed and get a bye after the awful start to the year, It's hard to go against somebody who's thrown 27 touchdowns. Now, yes, 15 interceptions, absolutely. But look at what he's done in the last five weeks when it's mattered most. Three touchdowns against the Jets, two against the Phillies, one against KC, one against Dallas, or not the Phillies, Eagles, my apologies. One against Dallas, and then you've had that Chargers game. Also, by the way, he's rushed for 13 touchdowns this year as well, which kind of matters. And he's been their main running back, it feels like. So uh, as much as I think Lamar Jackson's played well, over these last five to six weeks, man, Josh Allen's been doing this from start to finish this season. Although he's costed his team, he's also dominated in two areas. Let me ask this a different way. And Grant, I'm curious your thoughts on this as well. Who's the best football player you've seen this year? From start to finish, the guy that has dominated the league the most in your in your eyes. Like when you think back to the 2023 football season, you will think of oh. the, the performance by blank. Uh, no quarterbacks. The three guys that come to mind. Two wide receivers and one defensive player. Who was it? Miles Garrett with Cleveland, Mm -hmm. Tyreek Hill, and Christian McCaffrey. Those would be the three guys. Especially, so for Tyreek, like, with Miami not having Tyreek Hill, and I also take this pass game into consideration where he almost had 100 yards but has not been at his best, it's very noticeable. Uh, When San Francisco did not have Christian McCaffrey at his best, very noticeable. And Cleveland, I mean, the only reason Cleveland's in this conversation is because their defense led by Miles Garrett. Those are, I don't even have a quarterback in that conversation. I I agree with two of yours. I, I love Christian McCaffrey, and this is not to diminish anything he's done. That offense is so hard for me to give anybody the MVP because, like, if Christian McCaffrey is out, do I think the next guy could come in and put up the same numbers that CMC does? No. Do I think he could be pretty darn good, though, as a running back in that backfield? Yes. And do I think that their receiving production from McCaffrey could be replaced by Debo? I do. I think a lot of what Christian McCaffrey does is similar to what Debo does in their offense. And so having both of those players... Maybe this is unfair, but it makes the other a little less, quote-unquote, valuable in my mind. Again, 
McCaffrey's been amazing. If you wanted to have him as your MVP this year, he's deserving. I just personally would not. For me, it's Tyreek and it's Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is a game wrecker. And I know that the sack numbers aren't going to jump off the page. If you just look at his sack production on the season, you're going to be like, yeah, BK, but he's seventh in the NFL on sack. Sure, watch the football games. Because every single week, that dude completely wrecks an opposing team's game plan. They have to take multiple dudes to be able to chip him off of the line of scrimmage. They are constantly sending double teams his way. And even when they do all of that, he is still dominating via the pass rush. Yeah, sometimes it's not converting into sacks, but it's pressures, it's quarterback knockdowns, it's getting to the quarterback before he wants to throw and causing an errant throw that becomes an interception or a pass deflection. Like, Miles Garrett, to me, is one of the two most valuable players in the NFL this year, along with Tyreek Hill. I totally agree with you, though, Alex. I will not remember this season for any quarterback's performance. I will remember it for Tyreek Hill or Miles Garrett. So for me... Those would be the guys that I would prop up in my conversation of MVP. See, my guy is CMC at this point. Like, you look at what he's been able to do since they acquired him last season. They lost one game with CMC last season until the NFC Championship. They lost one game. And, I mean, before that, they had lost three times in their first six games. So they were a three and three team before CMC came in. Some would argue that that was because Brock Purdy became their quarterback. Okay, so. but I still think that, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Brock Purdy. I think an average quarterback on that team can look really good because of that offense. Sort of like what you were saying about, you know, CMC not being the guy or, or it being difficult for you to give anybody on that team MVP credit because of everybody else around them. I think the same thing about Brock Purdy. So I think Jimmy G, I don't know if he's as good as Brock Purdy, but I don't think he's that much of a drop-off from 3-3 three and three to what they're doing now. So, but, but you bring in CMC, it makes that offense so much more versatile. It gives you the, rush, the rushing game, whereas if one of those receivers went down, one of the receiving targets went down, you still have two or three others there that you can throw it to. So I think when it comes to the 49ers, the one player that is most important on that team that is the most irreplaceable at this point would be Christian McCaffrey. Would you guys bet on Lamar today? Like, if you no. were to guess, do you think he will end up winning the award? I wouldn't. I, I think if Josh Allen does this the, the last two weeks of the season and gets the number two spot, my money would go on Josh. Grant? Let's see. I'm looking up what the Ravens have for the rest of their schedule. So they've got Miami and Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I could see that Pittsburgh game being a difficult one for Lamar. I could. Because that defense is a good defense. And is that in Baltimore or in Pittsburgh? That is Both in, of them are in Baltimore. Uh, Baltimore. The the well, yeah, that's good for them. But I mean, those Steelers and Ravens games—they are always to the very end. I mean, the one in Pittsburgh this season was a seventeen to ten well, final score. And, and does Lamar even play in that game? Depends on what happens. This I was going to say, I guess, because if you clinch it, then you're not even going to play in that but, one. But point being, like the recency bias that we're seeing right now, I think that's going to really be a factor in these last two games. Especially and if Lamar ends on a bad note against Pittsburgh, he's done. And if Josh ends on a good note, if Allen has two more games where he's rushing for touchdowns, throwing for touchdowns, you've got New England, and then they wrap up against Miami. Pfft. That game against Miami could be the nail in the coffin for Allen winning the MVP. Lamar needs a big game this week. This is a big one for him. If he follows up what he did against San Francisco with another big performance against Miami, basically locks up the number one seed in the AFC, if you do that, he's probably getting it. If he struggles this weekend, though, 
I think Josh Allen is the one that enters the conversation, mm-hmm. Alex, because then you'll see back-to-back weeks. Lamar struggle against Miami, the team that then you would see Josh Allen potentially beat head-to-head with big numbers to be able to get that number two seed. And given everything that's taken place with them where they fired their OC, uh, Stephon Diggs has not been the same player this, this year that he was in previous years. I think that's how you open the door. I think the only other guy to me that I could see actually winning it, I think it is Josh Allen. I think he would have to go on a scorched earth run the next two weeks. And while Christian McCaffrey is my guy that I'd like to see win the MVP, and I think should, I don't think he will, because I, I think it will be a quarterback at the end of the what, day. Uh, what needs to happen for Mahomes to get back Coming in? up next, we'll have the Rewind here on 101 whoa, 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 ESPN. Whoa, whoa. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. and Grant. I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Hey, if you missed anything from today's shirt, be show. She, sure, sure, sure. Did you just sure, cuss sure, it? We don't know. Grant, sure. you didn't even hit the dump button. If you missed anything from today's show, sure, be sure, sure to check it out on the podcast page. Sure, sure. 101 ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it. It is all presented by sure, sure. Dobbs Tire and <laughs> Auto Centers. Uh, Alex, we'll get out of here on this. We opened up the show today by discussing the Blues proving to themselves, proving to us that they have it, what it takes to be able to come back from multi-goal deficits. December 16th, so about 10 days ago, they erased a two-goal deficit. It was the first time they had done that all season long. And then over the weekend against Chicago, they come back from three goals down. They had not done that previously. What have you learned about this squad over the last 10 days with them coming back? Well, I've I've definitely learned that Thomas and Cairo and Buchnevich have gotten back to that elite potential that we've talked a lot about. Um, And I've learned that this team has a confidence in them that they just have to figure out how to channel earlier. It's not so much that they're a group of players that need confidence back. I think they know how much talent they have and what they can do, but they still fall into that category of deciding when to show up. Like that game against Chicago, it got ugly, and they decided that third period they wanted to get back into it. Tampa, they just never were able to get into it. They've shown me, and I've learned, that they've instilled a little bit of confidence to know that they can come back into hockey games. The question is, is the deficit too much to overcome? And are they capable of flipping that switch consistently yeah. against the good teams that are on their Because you're going to find that out. The hope is you don't have to, and they can find their game quicker. But it is nice to see that at least it's there. It's there, and the compete level is there. And they have shown themselves, hey, if we get down, we are capable of coming back in these games, which was not something they could say realistically earlier And that's in the a precedent that you've set. So now fans, when you lose a game that you don't come back in, they know that you have the ability to do it. And now you're going to be judged accordingly. For Alex and Grant, I'm BK. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fastlane with Jamie Rivers and I believe Dan, maybe, possibly, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.